Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me for the next season of Academy Rewind, which I think is season seven, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is Palmer. How are you today? Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Uh, yep, seven. Season seven. Go team. Look at that. It's going to be a 10-season show. How how many people get the luxury of saying they know it's going to be a 10-season show and follow through with that? I mean, we still have. I mean, we still have seven, eight, nine, and ten to do. But still, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we had a very finite number of years until they started, you know, adding years. But yeah, you know, just I don't know how they did that, but you know, they they're doing it every year. There's a new year that comes out. It's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, we are here to talk about the threes. Um, the three decades, so 2013, 2003, 93, 83, so on and so on and so on. Um, and we, of course, will start um, at the at the most present day and work and work our way down as we always do. Maybe some things are different. Maybe some things are exactly the same. We'll find out. Uh, today's lineup of films are as follows. Silver Linings Playbook, Lincoln, Amor, Les Miserables. Beasts of Southern Wild, Argo, Django Unchained, Zero Dark Thirty, and Life of Pi. Palmer, what won Best Picture? Argo. Argo is correct. Won Best Picture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, so we will go in the reverse order to which I spoke, and we will start with Silver Linings Playbook, directed by David O. Russell, written by David O. Russell, based on the novel by Matthew Quick, starring Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro, Jackie Weaver, and Chris Tucker. Nominated for Best Picture, Actor for Cooper, Supporting Actor for De Niro, Supporting Actress for Weaver, Directing, Adapted Screenplay, and Editing. This won Best Actress for Jennifer Lawrence. Story is yep. uh, story revolves around uh, a man, played by Bradley Cooper, who after a stint at a mental institution, former teacher Pat Solentino, moves back in with his parents and tries to reconcile with his ex-wife. Things get more complicated when Pat meets Tiffany, a mysterious girl with problems of her own. And there's like dancing and love and stuff. Um, it's dirty dancing with crazy people. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to call them that, you know, but yes. Um, but, you know, we don't want to call them that. Um, th- this was um, this. Was, I, no, I, 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 yeah, I don't mean like I don't mean like mentally unstable people. I just meant like they were all crazy. Oh, you mean like everybody, no matter what? Yeah. Everybody yeah. in the movie is a little slick. Yeah. It's a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, now, here's the thing. I saw this movie a couple of years ago. I'd actually seen most of these films. Um, I think there was really – I think it was just a more that I hadn't seen. Uh, no, Beast of Southern Wild I hadn't seen. Um, and Life of Pi. Um but anyway, I had and um, more and, and a, this one. All right, you know yeah. what? I didn't see any of them. But anyway, I had seen this one because uh, this is about the time that I was like, oh, I'm going to watch all of the, uh, I'm going to watch all of the Oscar-nominated films to the best of my ability. I really liked this movie when I first saw it. I like, mm-hmm. um, I like David O. Russell most of the time. Some movies are better than others. I think it has a real. This film has a really solid script. Um, performances and direction. I don't think it does necessarily anything special. Like it's just a good movie. 
Um, and I like it. Four out of five stars. It's 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 pretty basic. Um, so we did a David O. Russell movie last year, American Hustle. last season, I believe, American Hustle, and uh, so I didn't really care for American Hustle. I thought I thought there were some pluses, but overall, it wasn't my cup of tea. I feel like this movie feels almost exactly like American Hustle, but it fits what's what's the movie what the movie is about you mean so like the freneticism of a david o the russell frenetic- of yeah. a david o russell the, movie yeah the freneticism the the manicness you know it kind of felt like you were you had the same um the same d- disease as the characters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh because you were it was always going it was never really stopping and you weren't quite sure what was what was next or what was coming out of it. That being said, I honestly can't see why Bradley Cooper was nominated only because again, like his character feels exactly the same as American hustle. And I feel like it, that is kind of what he does. Like he does the same type of character over and over again, except I will say though, I don't like the movie. He is very different in, the um, uh, star is born. Mm-hmm. I feel like that character and the way he portrays him is a lot different than he does most of his other characters. Yeah, I can understand that too. I, I, I get where you're coming from. There's kind of a um, manicness to a lot of his characters. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that whatever form that takes might be different uh, in those characters and their reason for the manicness, but there is kind of a high intensity to Bradley Cooper's characters I, uh, most of the time. Um, and so, so you're right. I think he's very good in the film, though. Um, I don't. I I wouldn't necessarily disparage. I wouldn't disparage him. I guess based on other films that have come out this year. And um, other people that he's up against, like you'd wonder where the where the exact nomination comes from. But I think he really leads the movie and becomes a sympathetic character, even though he's not um, incredibly likable. Uh, And so and I think that I think that is probably the strength of Bradley Cooper here and where the nomination comes from. Um, He he's um, realistic while still being. Um, sensational, like Hollywood sensationalized, and I think that I think that there's a relatability to that as well. So I don't know. I I like him though. Yeah. Um. And this was um a movie. This was the yeah, this was this was a movie. No. Uh. Jennifer Lawrence, I think, does really well in this movie. Although I feel like at times she's not given enough to do. Yes. Or to work with, like we know, we know almost very little about her character except for one thing, and that is about her husband. That's right. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say that we that we don't know tons about her. But I, she is definitely a supporting character. I feel so like her her lead actress win feels. Um, feels a little odd. Like it, Bradley Cooper, Bradley Cooper's character is the kind of the thrust of the movie, 
and everybody mm-hmm. everybody kind of supports his progression as a character. I don't really know right. that she she I guess she she does progress. She does evolve as a character, but not not so substantially in the way that he does. Um I would argue I would argue that she is the fulcrum of him changing, okay. whether he realizes it or not. And she realizes that he is changing her. Mm-hmm. That being said, I, I would, I'm fine with her nomination for best actress only because I think a lot of the movie revolves while it's a movie about him, a lot of the changes happens because of her. And a lot of the stuff that gets affected is because of her. Gotcha. I think she is moving the plot. She is moving the entire story along. And she essentially is, is making him change into the person that we want to root for. Like without her in this movie, it's about a guy who is who has a lot of um, mental problems that you kind of empathize for, but at the same time, you don't really care for. Mm. Um, Sure. Yeah. um, Maybe you don't uh, agree with the decisions being made, but you certainly feel for them. Um, I guess that's true. Who I really honestly think steals the show. um, The movie is Robert De Niro. And a little bit of Chris Tucker, honestly. Um, Chris Tucker was pretty good in this. He's great, yeah. Uh, but I think Robert De Niro kind of steals the show. There's a, there's a, uh, he he plays such a stereotype on a generation, you know. But but with but with subtlety, and um, which is something that you don't always see from De Niro. Sometimes he is the stereotype. Um, mm-hmm. but he was, he was layered in here and again, not tons and tons and tons to work with. Um, uh, but they really, the, I guess that's to the caliber of the cast and how well they, they seem to work together. Um, you know, plus, you know, all these characters, plus Jackie Weaver as the mother. They, I think they really did. A, it's a, it's a fine movie. Again, it's not a movie that you're like, wow, that changed cinema, but, um, but it's, it's good. It's good fun. And and in a group of movies that is not terribly feel good, this one was, and I appreciated that. Yeah, it it definitely took me by surprise. I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did, and and I ended up really enjoying it. Um, I would argue that I think Robert De Niro. This is Robert De Niro, somewhere between like actor Robert De Niro. And meet the parents, Robert De Niro, because mm-hmm. his character isn't as goofy as it is in, say, Meet the Parents, but he brings that sort of humor to it. And I yes. think in a lesser actor, it could be overdone and over the top, but it never, like, he never allows it to be that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I think I think you're right. I mean, he De Niro is a good enough good actor, and he knows the different. He knows what kind of movie he's in, you know. So he's not going to go, hey, you know, can you can you milk me? 
you know, like it's not that kind of not that kind of movie. Um, but it is a it, he is playing on that. He is playing on the type that he also helps establish at the same time. So it's good. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, give me some. And, fun. Oh, go ahead. Keep going. And, you know, he his character has like the same. The same kind of mental issues as his son. Just like he's of the time where he's like, we don't go see a shrink or we don't you know talk about it that's right i i feel like even this movie is like kind of still in the like oh no don't go talk to somebody no to have no don't do that you know like it, it still feels slightly faux pas um to you know because it, it's not it's not the trained healthcare worker that um like really helps him improve um mm-hmm. so i that was the only the only thing that it's like it's still a little bit like you know you just do you and that'll be fine that'll solve all the all the problems which is not entirely um healthy but you know what it's also a movie so whatever um give me some fun facts on this movie sure do Nope, that's not that one. Nope, not that one. Uh, this doesn't have Ang Lee. Here we go. Robert De Niro teared up during the scene where he tells Bradley Cooper he wished he was closer to him, which was not scripted. Oh. Well, yeah. The tears weren't scripted or the what he said to Bradley wasn't scripted? Uh, everything. I don't even think uh, Robert De Niro as a person was scripted. Oh, interesting. You're like, Bob, why are you on set today? Like, you don't <laughs> have to be here. He's like, I just I just have to tell Bradley something, you know. Yeah. Like, I'll be gone. Don't worry about yeah. it. Keep your <laughs> shoes on. It took five years and 25 rewrites before David O. Russell could direct it. As Cindy Pollack told him, it was tricky to have emotional, troubling, funny, and romantic co- content mixed together. I would agree with this. That's true. It, it really does play off of almost every emotion in the book. Um yep. And, uh, and, uh, and it, it doesn't, I can see why it was nominated. Like just the script is, is um to balance all of those things. You can see yeah. also why O. Russell was nominated. Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence spent several weeks practicing the climactic ballroom dance routine with choreographer Mandy Moore. None of that was improvised. Absolutely not, asserts Lawrence. I'm a terrible dancer, so I would never have been able to do anything with that. When it finally came together, that scene was really just as fun as it feels. Lawrence even mentioned that compared to her, Cooper took it dancing quite naturally, when in fact it's her character Tiffany that's supposed to be the experienced dancer. Hmm. Interesting. Also a a sign of their talent, because I wouldn't have really known that. Yeah. They they hit that they hit that well. That's great. They did. It was. That's good. Good fun facts. Good for you, Palmer. Let's talk about Lincoln, shall we? You did all three, right? Sometimes they run together, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Yep. Lincoln, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Tony Kushner, Doris Kearns Goodwin, starring Daniel Day Lewis, Sally Field, David Strathern, Jordan Joseph Gordon Levitt, James Spader, Tommy Lee Jones, Jackie Earl Haley, Tim Blake Nelson, and Jared Harris, among many other people. I just kind of stuck names in a hat and pulled them out. I figured when you said uh, Jared Harris, no, I was... <laughs> Jack Earl uh, Haley, Tim Blake uh, Nelson, uh, yeah, uh, Gordon Levitt, because 
Really? He's in like five seconds of this. Yeah, he is. A lot of these people are really only in five seconds of it. But you know what? It's okay. Whatever. Nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actor for Jones, Supporting Actress for Field, Directing, Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, Editing, Costume Design, Music by John Williams, and Sound Mixing. This movie won Best Actor for Daniel Day-Lewis and Production Design. Did it now? It That's did. it? That's it. That's it. Um, okay. As the American Civil War continues to rage on, America's president, Abraham Lincoln, struggles with continuing carnage on the battlefield as he fights with many inside his cabinet on the decision to emancipate the slaves. Palmer, I've been very vocal on He this already movie, emancipated the slaves. Um, signing it into uh, a law. It, it, through, it, through yeah, it's about the amendment of the Constitution. Hey, I only copy and paste what oh, is oh, on the... copy I, and paste, huh? Yeah, yeah, mister, I get all my fun facts from IMDb. Yeah, you hush. Nope, I call up Steven Spielberg personally, even when it's not his movie. Yeah, Stevie, tell me about Argo. <laughs> you know, Ben directed that. Yeah, but you tell me about it because you lost. So obviously you'd have to, like, you know, <laughs> feel it, you know. Anyway, um, I've been vocal on this movie in the past in that I think that it, in, it plays some – it plays some of it incorrectly in that it part of it is sometimes it's a little too focused on the um like the um, the politics of the passing without really getting into the the um emo uh, the emotional or human stakes um that had always been my read on it i read it differently this time I read it differently this time around, watching it over again. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. I still don't think it's one of Spielberg's strongest, um, but I think it's one of Day-Lewis's strongest. He's easily, easily, he's just incredibly captivating. The makeup it's, is extraordinary. Yeah, it goes Crucible and then Lincoln. You know, it might. You know, it might. Yeah, because you know, I actually just watched Gangs of New York because that's coming up for two thousand three. It's yeah. not, it's not Gangs of New York. I can tell you that. I I also like Gangs of New York. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. We got a lot of Day Lewis coming at us this season. Um, nice. So, um, but anyway, it was just funny because you know he takes years off between movies, and so what are the like really what are the odds that we're going to have a season with two? Um, that's pretty. Uh, well, this was this was kind of like his final run up. Yes. Like he was in he was in like a few movies in a row and it seemed like he was getting nominated every year. Yeah, it was Gangs of New it was actually Gangs of New York that was his re entry into Hollywood yeah. that he yep. had been off for quite some time before that. Um but anyway, so I think Lincoln is great because of Day Lewis, and many of the people in it are excellent. Like the a lot of the actors are like they really bring in everything. Cinematography is gorgeous everything is lit with what looks like natural light so it it feels rather like it feels rather like a painting in every scene um um but i i do think it, it is kind of sloggy there's a bit of it it's just like all right just keep it moving just let's let's move it Let's go a little bit faster or just cut a little bit out or, or mm -hmm. something. And it also presupposes that the audience knows a lot 
of who everyone is. Um, I don't, I don't think so. I think it just doesn't care. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't care. Um, which would then, if you don't know, does that, like, does that lend to like, well, if I don't know who that is and the movie's not giving me a reason to know or care who that is, Mm -hmm. does it actually matter? No, because you know, one of the things that I, one of the things that I harp on, we both harp on different things when it comes to historical movies. One Mm -hmm. of the things I harp on is a movie not giving us enough information to know what's going on. Yep. Like, hey, you're, you're already supposed to know this and let's go from there. Like, if you don't know anything about the Civil War, why it was fought, what slavery was, this movie you probably won't enjoy. That's true. If you don't but, know at least the minimum of those things, you probably right. shouldn't be allowed to watch this movie in the first place because you're too young. Yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, the those people, while they're real people, their backgrounds are not needed for this movie. I wouldn't necessarily say their backgrounds are needed, but so I'm trying to think of a um, so the sec- like, so you have the secretary of so you have the secretary of state steward or yeah steward right steward. yeah and then it's either you, steward or steward and then you have you have a few other people in Congress that they don't really tell you who they are and why it's important that they're like in that room with you know with Abraham Lincoln with you know with the cabinet with the, like you're just kind of like all right so they seem to be on the same side that's all i got you know they um and that's that's the part i wouldn't necessarily that, that say that's like it makes the movie bad it doesn't it's a great it, it's a it's a great piece of film but it is it is a strength that it's solely focused on it's solely folk. It's so zero focused on Lincoln that everybody else is rather unimportant, and that's kind it, of it's, it's so zero. Oh, zeroed in on Lincoln. it's zero. Yeah, it's so I'm zeroed like, in. Did it on focus Lincoln. on Lincoln? What? No, no, no. It's so zeroed in yeah. on Lincoln that everybody else feels unimportant. Because so, okay, I I do see what you're saying. At the same time, like. Why are they important enough to be in the room? Why are they kind of treating them like they are? I think it becomes apparent as the movie goes along. So I think Mm. given context clues as the movie goes along, you kind of see why. That being said, like, and I'm not, again, I'm not a historical scholar. So I'm taking this with this movie on face value. Uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin is a noted um, author and historian she wrote the book Team of Rivals, which this movie kind of draws attention from. She's mm-hmm. also written on several other presidents. Uh, this is not in my fun facts, but her husband, I believe it's, yeah, it, her husband is the character from Quiz Show. The uh, main really? character, the main lawyer. Yes. That's that is cool. That is her husband. This is his second wife, I believe. I believe the wife in that movie Either she passes away or they get divorced. But yeah, they are. Uh, this is now their. That's their marriage. And I believe they are both still alive um, and living in either Connecticut or Massachusetts. I can't remember which. That's very cool. Yeah. That being said, I originally loved Lincoln. I still love it. I think it's a very good how the sausage is made movie. 
yes, there's no real dramatic tension because you know the the there's the passage of the bill. You yeah. know it gets passed. You know Apollo thirteen, they you know, they're gonna be okay. But it does it does it well enough to create enough tension that even though you know it's gonna get passed, you see you see how in their views it was never a sure thing. Sure. I I agree with you that it is a good how the sausage gets made movie, which is a great phrase that I've never heard before, and I'm happy to use it all the time now. Um, that is, um, I should say I shouldn't. I've never heard that applied to a movie before, and that is great. Um, I I agree that it, it's a good how the sausage gets made movie, and I agree that there is no dramatic tension at the end because you know it's going to pass. Even the way that they show Lincoln like solitarily sitting in his office is almost like. I'm, everyone's going to vote on it and I'm just going to read this book to my child and blah, 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 because I believe in the goodness of people and that things will turn out right. And, you know, he has his little speech and that's probably the <laughs> just like my life. Yeah, right. Um, uh, and uh, <laughs> and um, I think that's true. But there are there are other historical films in there are other historical films in this lineup. That mm -hmm. you also know how it's going to end, and it still gives you the tension. It still plays it effectively, and I think that's where Lincoln is a bit just missteps slightly in that it, for for whatever reason, whether it's just the the way that it's edited or or however Spielberg wanted to portray it, in that it it moves like. It moves like a storybook, and not and not like a piece of drama. If that okay. if that makes I, sense, I can see what you're saying, but I and I will say I don't think I don't think uh, Spielberg remotely went for any sort of drama. Like Spielberg said, the audience is smart enough to know what's going to happen. Right. So I'm doing. I want to do a very clean look at how it got there yeah and i like the look to how it got there but then it's still it's without giving you the tension it still does a will it pass like will it won't it kind of thing at the end but it doesn't also give you the tension to 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 give you that moment so it's an it's kind of a fizzling um it's kind of a fizzling out by the end and there's a lot of unresolved pieces like you know the his the tension with his son is unresolved um the tension with well, Molly there, Lincoln is that. unresolved well yes because he was shot and killed um yeah. yes i i know but um but as a movie that is not real you know like it's it's historical fiction you know so there's obviously creative license at play it it feels like some dangling plot threads more than anything <laughs> well yes i will say my biggest complaint with this movie is it doesn't know when to end sure yeah i think that's this very is, indicative of later spielberg actually like this this is the this is the return of the king of of historical movies yeah except that lincoln does not get saved by an eagle which would have been it would have been weird, but weird. I would have been okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> so 
where do you think this movie should have ended? Well, because I well, want to. I actually like that. I like that it ends with his death. Um, okay. It, because, and I think just because the instead of showing it, it shows his son at a different theater, his young son reacting to that news, which I just thought was incredibly smart storytelling and heartbreaking all at the same all at the same time it probably should have ended there at that moment the okay like, that was definitely one of the spots that i yeah on that I his deathbed like and there he is a crumpled little man on his bed probably Crump yeah, because the the whole movie is like okay so the whole movie is like is showing him as like a mythic a mythic figure, right? It is the mythic Lincoln. The way, like, he's basically, when you first look at him, he's sitting down talking to black soldier, Union soldiers, and he kind of looks like he's in the Lincoln Memorial, like a little shack version yeah. of the Lincoln Memorial. And yeah. so he's near faultless, near faultless in this film. And, and almost saint-like in his portrayal. Mm -hmm. And so to see – it works a couple of ways because, like, there's that great shot of him walking out of the White House to go to Ford's Theater, which is also a great place where the movie could have ended. That you know? is that is mine just because I really like the line, I guess it's time to go, though I wish I could stay. Yes. Yeah, that would, yeah. Have, been, that would have been a great place to end. Um, I loved the scene with his kid's reaction. So, um, just for the storytelling, it reminded me a lot of the beginning of Avita. Yes, yeah, very much. Yeah. So, yeah, so I like that. But to the whole movie, I get what it's doing though, because the whole movie it builds him as the mythic figure that does this thing, and so on. It does this big thing that changes the world, so on and so on and so on and so on. There he is, tiny, small, crumpled in a bed. You know, he's not tiny. He's He's no, but the way the way that, that bed. the way that it's framed, you know, like his like his knees are up, like you know, his knees are up against his um, you know, his belly, right, and all that stuff. So like, he's too big for that bed. He's too big for the bed, right? Exactly. So I I think that it crumbles that mythic figure right at the end. It like it demolishes, yeah. you know, like someone that's so momentous as Lincoln. Even he is but a person at the end yeah. of his life, whenever that was. So I get the kind of the poetry and the beauty of what he was doing in that moment. But I don't know if I wanted or needed to see it. Yeah. Also, there's the general consensus of, you know, Lincoln is the last is the last fatality of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So in a movie where where you're trying to end the where the civil war is clearly coming to an end and they're rushing through the amendment to the constitution before the south joins the union again and then and thus able to block it um it makes sense to end with his death but i i fully agree my favorite ending would have been him leaving the white house but i think I think in context of the movie and what the movie is about, I think the best time, I think the the more poetic time to end it would have been Tommy Lee Jones in his bed with his wife 
Oh yeah, that who's a colored woman? Too. Yep. Um, reading the bill. I think that would have been a, a great way to end it if the movie was about passing the bill, but the movie was really about Lincoln passing the bill. Right. You know what I mean? So uh, I th- it depends on the frame of re- like the point yeah. of entry character who is Abraham Lincoln at the in this yeah. case. You know so, what's funny? And watching this with a 2020 sensibility, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've we've currently just lived through four years of of Trump, who at every turn was about as unlinking as anyone ever could be, and whether you liked some of his policies or not. There was always a constant there was always a constant outrage for the last four years over everything he did in my opinion, most of the time right sometimes maybe not so much, but you see the same kind of thing against Lincoln, and I'm not saying they're remotely compared to each other, but it's it's just hilarious where at the time hmm. some people were complaining about what Lincoln was doing in the same context that some people complain about Trump today. It's true. Like even that, like, Oh, he's trying to be a dictator. He's taking away our stuff. He's like doing this. It's true. It is. I mean, I remember when people said that about Bush too, you know, like people said it about Obama. People say, I think everyone just says that about every president. And it could, and it could very well be, but like, I, you know, uh, I've been paying attention to politics since I've been able to vote. Mm-hmm. So my first presidential election that I could vote in was the, was um, the George W. Bush versus Al Gore. Oh, so you're the reason. I am. Yeah. I don't even re- – I think I remember who I voted for, but I'm not entirely sure. I've become much more liberal as years have gone on. But back then, where it was my first time, I was just like – well, I don't hear any of them saying I want to kill everybody. So, so they're both. I good. don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> flip a coin. <laughs> um. So, but yeah, but it, and it's funny when you hear them complain about Lincoln in the movie. They're like, ah, he's trying to be a dictator. What did he do? He emancipated the slaves. And. Yeah. Like that's what that's mm-hmm. the hill you're gonna die on for this. Yep, sure is, sure is. You know, speaking of hill you're gonna die on, actually, I found the opening scene of Lincoln awesome. Yes. Like, reminds you that reminds you that Spielberg really knows how to make a movie. Actually, I love the I love the folksiness of Lincoln throughout this entire movie. And my one of my favorite scenes is during the. Was it the Battle of Williamson when they're trying to take over the when they're trying to take over uh, the town in North Carolina and Lincoln goes into one of his starts giving one of his stories and the the head like the head army president's like, no, you're not going to give another one of your stories. And he goes storming out of scene. Yep. I love that. I love that, too. No, you're not. No. You're not going to – no, you're going to tell one of your stories. <laughs> yep, and then he does anyway. Like the, the the Lincoln stories are great, and I really wish we had – I really wish we had like that kind of folksy 
president again. Although I guess the last time we kind of had him was Jimmy Carter and look how that turned out. Yeah. 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 But I, I don't know. I Biden it, it's I early, but Biden could be, I mean, full disclosure, oh, Biden, Biden could easily be Biden's pretty folksy, <laughs> but I mean, but uh, we are recording this before the inauguration. We're recording this before anything. So yeah. At, at so year, as a matter so of fact. If, so, so if come February, like Biden, like Biden opens up and he's actually an alien replicon and he's like, Not Haha, you're all we, enslaved now. Yeah. We're outdated. Not <laughs> yeah, our problem. Yeah. Um, let's, we have many movies to talk about still. So let's, let's do carry it. on and talk and do, um, three facts, please. Okay. Steven Spielberg has explained that during the movie's climactic scene in which the house of representative members are being called to vote on the 13th amendment, the names of many men who voted no for various reasons were actually changed in the film so as not to embarrass the living descendants of these men whose reputations might have been stained by their negative vote casting. Oh, man. So that list of names I wrote down is worthless. Put your tomatoes back in the fridge. You don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis became the first actor to receive an Oscar for working with Steven Spielberg. The first actor to win three Oscars for Best Actor in a Leading Role presented to him by Meryl Streep. The first actor to receive an Oscar for playing Lincoln. But the second to receive a nomination for playing him. Previously, Raymond Massey was nominated for the role in Abraham Lincoln in Illinois, nineteen forty. Huh. Yep. That's a lot of firsts for yeah. um first actor to win a that first actor to win a best actor for with working with Steven Spielberg. And to receive a nomination. That's crazy. Yeah. But I guess you know what so many of Spielberg's early films were not um, or popcorn fair. There, yeah, it's a lot of popcorn. Even if they were nominated, I mean, Indiana Jones was nominated, Jaws was nominated. You know, what? Uh, Wait, Liam Liam Neeson wasn't nominated for Schindler's List. Yeah, no, he was not. Um, no, we already did Schindler's List, didn't we? I know we did Schindler's List, but oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I that's don't think weird. He, I don't think he was because I remember talking about like why was he not nominated? Confused. Yeah, I, I am confused here. I will um pull it up because okay. I have my notes right well, here. No, he was. He was nominated best actor in a leading role. William Neeson. Huh. Yeah. Well, I'll be. Yeah. The how how odd. But anyway, uh, keep going. You have one more fun fact. I think. Yep. Daniel Day-Lewis previously portrayed Bill the Butcher Cutting in Gangs of New York, a character who opposed Abraham Lincoln's political plans. He sure did. Boy, did he. Well, look at that. What an actor, Daniel Day-Lewis. Sad. I'm sad that he's... <laughs> what an actor. I'm sad he's dead. I'm sad. I was going to say sad he's dead, but if he does die sometime between us recording this and, That's, yeah, coming, that... I'm, and I'm going to feel really <laughs> bad. So... Um, never gonna get he's my not sequel. acting anymore. How's that? Yep, never gonna get my sequel to uh, the Crucible. No, <laughs> nope. Um, the Crucible two. More names. <laughs> <laughs> this time they want your middle name. Yeah, the Crucible two, the land grab. Um, all right, let's talk about a more directed by Michael Haneke, written by Michael Haneke, starring Jean. Uh, Jean-Louis Trinat, Emmanuel Riva, and Isabel Hupor. 
nominated for Best Actress, um, Best Picture for Reeve, uh, Actress for Reeve, Best Picture, Directing, Original Screenplay, and won Best Foreign Film uh, from Austria. Uh, this uh, story revolves around Georges and Anne, an octogenarian couple. They are cultivated, retired music teachers. Their daughter, also a musician, lives in Britain with her family. One day, Anne has a stroke, and the couple's bond of love is severely tested. I had not seen this uh, previously. I found it incredibly tragic and heartfelt with some amazing performances. Um, slightly too long. Like, I got it. Like, a after a certain point, I felt like it could have wrapped itself up. It has a twist that I did not see coming. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, and uh, I don't know if that made the movie better or worse, honestly, but I really enjoyed it. Um what did you think? Uh, I didn't like it. it yeah, was, I figured you didn't. It was drawn out. I found it dull. I don't... Yeah, I don't know. It it just wasn't for me. Yeah. Nothing, you know, nothing really about the movie was for me. I think that it's... It, I was... The, if I had watched this um, when I was, when I was young or unmarried or just in a completely different state of life than I am now with like it, I might also hit differently for me that's kind of where I that's kind of where I fell on it I was like even like 5 years ago I don't know if I would have cared for this it's mm. it's absolutely a put yourself in those shoes kind of film but also I think you need to take a lot with you into the movie to get there um, mm -hmm. Because I think if you don't get George, like if you just don't understand him as a character, his motivations, where he's coming from, the struggles, the, the, then then it's a it's a hard it's a hard movie to watch. I mean, I think that Emmanuel Riva was amazing, you know, because acting like a acting like um, you know she suffered a stroke, and to watch like her decline from the opening scene. Um, or with her when they walk into their apartment all the way to the end is mm -hmm. pretty tragic. Like, and she's really, really good. Um, it also has some stuff in it where like, he's just like, you watch like a couple of minutes of him trying to catch a pigeon and you like, I get it's symbolic, but just, just, but this movie is two hours. You could cut it down. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like give me a give me a 90 minute version of this movie. Maybe it's a little bit better. Probably not. Do you but. think I always think this like do you think that the length of some movies we feel because we watch them in close succession? I mean, every movie this year was pretty much over 2 hours except Life of Pi. Pretty sure Life of Pi was a clean 2 hours cuz I remember turning it on and went, "Oh, it's a short Ang Lee film. <laughs> it's weird when Ang Lee is the short one in a year, but yeah, I think Beasts of Southern Wild is less than two hours, actually. Oh, but that felt so much longer. It sure did, didn't it? Um, uh, but yeah, sometimes it's like that. I think it's just also the subject matter and how much they they allow their quote unquote art to breathe, and I feel like this movie takes advantage of it like look i'm making cinema we're doing minute long scenes about nothing because art um i think part of that is indicative of 
um, European filmmaking. Like it's not necessarily, a, you know, like we're very like, okay, got to move quick. We got to do this. We got to squeeze as much in as much as we can the American way, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, you take your time in other places, other parts of the world. Um, and I think part of it is that part of it is just to, to watch the normalcy to then watch the the struggle like in yeah. the same space of time. So if you're using time to to view it, so you're like you watching somebody pour like or like put water in a pot and then boil it while having a conversation, and in that same stretch of time to watch what it takes for him to move on into her to into her bed. It's the same amount of time. But what is the challenge and the difference in the, you know, like, I think it, it, yeah. it's playing from that angle, um, which is art. Yes. Yeah, sometimes. But there's also a fine line between, in my mind, there's a fine line between art and being uh, pretentious about it. This film, I don't think, crosses it, unlike, say, Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> any Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Any Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Um but at the same time, I feel like, you know, but there's a difference. Like him, him pouring water into a pot and making and waiting for it to boil while having a conversation. At least something else is going on. It's when he, it's when we're taking the time to watch him pour water into a pot and watch it boil when nothing else is happening. That I'm like, okay. I, I understand what you are trying to show and mean, but I don't care. I just don't. Yeah, I guess that really comes down to then if you care enough about the character on screen to watch them fill a pot with water. If that... there, are, there are very few characters that I would care enough about to to yeah. watch that. Like, like, not even Josephine Potter from Dawson's Creek, I think, would wouldn't make that list. I think that sentence tells me a lot about you and why O'More does not strike your fancy. Um, I don't have much more to say about yeah. it than I've already said apart that I, if it's for you, it's for you. If it's not, it's not. I don't know if this movie deserves this is like, this is the edge of like, like, you know, like, okay, so you have, the international film category. So wh- why are you in both places? I think it's one of those movies. That I'm not quite sure why you're it was also... nominated for best foreign movie. Yeah. And that's what it won. So I, it's like one of yeah. those. Like, so why are you also in this category? Yeah. I don't pick a lane. Like I don't what parasite this year. Wasn't nominated in both. I don't think it was. No, yeah. but I'm going to, so, I'm going to check on that. Yeah. While you're checking on that, but, um, yeah, pick a lane. Like I don't think you can I don't think you can be both. I don't uh, I don't know. Cuz you would think because it's international it, it won best international film and best picture. That's what that's what Parasite did. Really? Yeah, it won both. Okay. That's why so it I, was amazing. I guess you have to you would have to argue that if it's the best international movie are you then saying that it's also so it's all it's if it's the best international movie, then it's also the best international movie plus Hollywood movie. Right. Because this year has nine contenders. 
so so in theory, it's one of the nine best movies made in 2012. That's right. So it's so, so it's the best it's international the best movie in the world, right? Not just in part of the world. Yeah. Yeah, so I would I would say in this instance it stands to reason that it gets nominated in both. Like I don't think you can say I don't think you could skip international uh foreign uh nomination and then say it's one of the best pictures. I don't think you can either, though I do think that it is I do I thought this with Parasite too, like it's great that it won both, but like if you're if it's going to win international, then I feel like then it should then like you know, I'm a share, maybe share the wealth a little bit. So if it's going to win Best Picture, which is great, it deserved Best Picture. But you I don't love know Parasite that. was amazing. When yeah, you, I guess that, when I, you I guess vote. that's true. You don't, you you don't know that. But when you look at the tallies, when the Academy looks at the tallies, and they say, "Oh, it's going to win both quote unquote Best Pictures," like, you know, what's the next runner up on the international list? If they, if oh, that's no, considered, you, the, you, you definitely can't do that. No. No, no. I, that's probably just unfair all the way if around. It, but the question becomes if it loses international and wins Best Picture, how could you really say it won Best Picture if it couldn't win international? I don't know. Yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's tricky. Maybe there shouldn't be international at all and it should just be Best Picture. <sighs> I know. There, there, is a, there is a logic to that, but then at the same time, you, have, you run – two risks one you run the risk of no movies outside of america getting nominated because it is few and far between they get nominated Mm -hmm. or two you start nominating these films that would normally be an international category and you alienate the american audience because it's like i'm why would i care about a movie from sweden i know well that is a shame on American audiences, but when I guess when you're trying to sell ads, then yeah. then it that's tough. That's a harder sell. Um, yep. Okay, well All I'd right. say shame on you if you don't care about movies from other countries, but just based solely on the fact that they're from other countries. That's right. That's right. My dislike for Amore has nothing to do that it's a foreign movie. That's right. My dislike for for Amore is that I just found it boring. Yeah, exactly. Give me some fun Loose. facts about this incredibly sad movie. Loosely based on personal experiences of director Michael Hankey, his aunt suffered a degenerative disease and the paintings seen in the movie are owned by Hankey's parents. Emmanuel Riva was very uncomfortable about her nude scene in the film, but finally agreed to do it because she thought it was extremely important for the story that she would do it as Anne, the character she was playing and not as herself. Hmm. It's a good distinction between being an actress and being or like being a character and that's tough. Anne's former piano student, Alexandra is played by actual concert pianist, Alexandri Thurado. Thurado. Nice. A name in his first acting job. Michael Hankey wanted a real pianist for the role. They also contributed to the film soundtrack. Ava's husband, Joff, is played by professional opera singer William Schimmel, who, like his character, is British. Actress Isabel Huppert, who plays the daughter Ava, also plays piano. Lovely. Well, yep. that's good. That's good. Let's talk about Les Miserables. Les Miserables. 
as some people say, sadly. Um, directed by Tom Hooper, written by William Nicholson, uh, Alan Bobil, Claude Michael Schoenberg. I actually accidentally typed Alien Bobil, which would have been fun. Starring Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, Anne Hathaway, Amanda Seyfried, Sasha Baron Cohen, Helena Bonham Carter, Eddie Redmayne, Aaron Tebbett, and Samantha Parks. Nominated for Best Picture, Actor for Jackman, Costumes, Original Song, Production Design, this movie won Best Supporting Actress for Anne Hathaway, Sound Mixing, Makeup, and Hairstylings. Based on the hit Broadway musical, the 19th century France Jean Valjean, who was decades has, who has, for decades has been hunted by a ruthless policeman named Javert, after breaking parole, agrees to care for a factory worker's daughter. The decision changes their lives forever. I know you love Les Mis. I do. Uh, you do. You love Les Mis. You love this movie. I think this movie's very good. I think that Hugh Jackman is not miscast. Um, I think he's. I, I think he's very good. The part uh-huh. is a little bit outside of his voice range. Like he's like he's really at the tip top of his range. So sometimes the subtlety in some of what he's singing is lost. Um, and I think that Russell and I think that Russell Crowe kind of gets a bad rap where he's actually pretty, pretty serviceable in this film. He's a good Javert. He's not great at yeah. stars. Um, he lacks the power I, I for really, this, that song. But I really like him in the part. I really like his version of stars. I don't. I still think Norm Lewis is is infinitely better. You know, is it, he's trained, you know, trained singer, and Russell Crowe was was a rock musician. It's just a different right. style. Yeah. But I will say, um, for everyone uh, who dislikes it, that I believe Hugh Jackman is the is the uh, lower rung of singers in this movie, as far as this movie goes. Um, I think that many of the people in the film are not. They are they are singers, but they are not classically trained singers. And Les Mis, to really sing the score as it's written with the impact required for an operetta, it just it needs people of stronger vocal caliber. And really, the only people that like truly have that are um, Samantha Barks. Aaron Tevitt, who I think is probably is the best singer in the film. Um, Lies. Not say Aaron Tevitt. He he's nope. tremendously good. Um, I have seen them both live. Yeah, I, I no. have. I saw Aaron Tevitt live. He was awesome. We saw it together. You sat right next to me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he's the only one nominated for uh, Tony this year. That's right. The only one. The only guy. Um, <laughs> it's gonna stink when he loses. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think Anne Hathaway um, is, is great. Sasha Baron Cohen has is remarkably good, though it's not showcased here. Um, it really isn't, and that's one of the things I dislike about this movie version. Is I feel like the character of uh, Thernardier, Thernardier, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, is such a great character in the musical that has a very little, but. He has one like show stopping number, and I think they do a decent version of here. But then their second 
their second like big thing when they get thrown out of the wedding, mm-hmm. I feel is extremely rushed, which I didn't like because that is one of my favorite songs. Mm. Um, but I believe him, I believe Sasha Baron Cohen and Helen Bonham Carter do a really good job playing those characters. I agree. I think everybody everybody's character acting is spot on. I think like everybody gets their part really well. Some of them are just not as some of them are just not as strong vocally as they should be mm-hmm. for a movie musical. And that is a um that is that is just a constant complaint that I have with movie musicals in general like yeah. they're going to cast the they're going to cast the name over the over the person who can like vocally deliver what they they should deliver because depending upon the movie they also need to act right now you could argue something like Les Mis or Phantom of the Opera that is like 99% singing Mm-hmm. And very little spoken words. You wouldn't need to do that. No, they, still, they, still need to, they certainly still need to act. There's a lot happening that you right, need to but I emotionally mean, convey. I mean, different, there's, there's a, a difference skill. between singing and, like, acting as far as dialogue goes. It's true. And that's what they, I mean. There's also a difference between singing and acting while you're singing, which is which is way harder than people give it credit for and so yeah, like but I, I would imagine that if you if you pick people from broadway yeah then they have that skill that's right except they might so. not have the film skill which is it's like to like to to act with the camera instead of to feed off the audience and yeah. you know it's a whole different it's a whole different ball game so that's why movie musicals are just hard to do yeah. in general but i will say that um like I said, I think this. I think the weak point of this movie is Hugh Jackman. I I really would love to see this movie with a with a different Valjean. And while I like uh, Hooper as a director, and I was really I really like this movie. I also want to see this movie done with a different director, someone who. Um, can direct a musical better, which is weird because I also love Cats, and he did Cats. You know, you'd be the only one. This is a this is a really tough place. I just put myself. In. It sure is. You know, because, yeah. He, I like Tom Hooper a lot. I think he he's a very competent director. The King's Speech is one of my favorites. His yeah. HBO mini. Um, he he directed episodes of Elizabeth the First with Helen Mirren, which is excellent. He directed. All of the episodes of John Adams, I think, for HBO. Like he's probably really good direct, really competent, not strong with the movie musical. He went for singing on set versus uh, versus dubbing in yourself from the studio, which yeah. I like for its raw performance matter. So like that's where Anne Hathaway's strength really comes from is the way she delivers that song because she doesn't just sing it. She doesn't just emotionally sing it. She acts the hell out of that song. Um, uh, okay. And that's – if if you want to listen to the pretty version, there are plenty of pretty versions of that song out there. But she really feels that song, what it's about. Like, but it, it, like actually emotionally crippling what it's about. And I think 
it's, that's where people are torn on Anne Hathaway too, right? Because it's like, they're like, I really like that song and I wanted to hear you sing it. And she instead acts the song. Oh and- no, she does a really good, she does a great job with the song. The issue becomes the sound quality, I don't think is there. No, well, that's because, you know, and they're, that's not, because- they're not getting, um, they're not getting, uh, um, what do you call it? not ADR if you, yeah if you're gonna if you're Auto-tuned. gonna do yeah. not even that if you're gonna do on set singing I feel you need to you need to design the set to accommodate the acoustics and I feel like he doesn't in this I feel the sound is very deadened the music is very deadened and it just doesn't give that musical flair mm-hmm. now you could put you could put um, Anne Hathaway on a stage doing the same thing in the same style, the same exact way. And I think it'll sound a lot better because the acoustics will play into it. It's not just because she acts and she starts crying during the song that, you know, she she starts hyperventilating towards the end of the song. It's just the the way the sound is carried yep. is my is my ultimate a dislike in this version and i feel like cooper's done two musicals he's done this uh hooper's done two musicals he's done this he's done cats and i feel like he took the criticisms from this and then went to like 11 in the opposite direction with mm-hmm. cats and he needs to find a middle ground i mean i you're not you're not wrong yeah. um uh, but I think, I think his time making, I think his time making musicals is over. Is it though? Like you had a good run. Did he do? Did he? Did he do? Did he do what? I have his page right open right in front of me. Did he do Beauty and the Beast? No, that was the um, oh gosh, the um, that was the guy who directed um, some Harry Potters. Did Beauty and the Beast, I think. Some Harry Potters, eh? Christopher yeah. Columbus? No, Bill Con I'm sorry, Bill Condon did um Bill Condon did um Beauty and the Beast. He also Who- did Mr. Holmes, The Good Liar, Breaking Dawn from the Twilight Saga, Dream Girls, Kinsey, Gods and Monsters. Bill Condon's pretty good. Yeah, he wrote Who- the stage uh, the film production of Chicago. Who did um Oh man there was an there was another musical that people really Oh the the the, 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 the story one the story Into the Woods. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. I knew where you were going. I yeah. knew exactly where you're going with that. Into the Woods was directed by Rob Marshall, who directed Chicago, Chicago. Mary Poppins Returns, Nine, which is the Daniel Day Lewis musical. Oh, man, I, don't, I don't remember that at all. Um, I don't think it was nominated. No, it was not as well it shouldn't. But I don't. Oh no! Nominated what? for four Oscars. J.K. L.O.L. What? Yeah. Um. Not for Best Picture though. Oh, good. Supporting actress for Penelope Cruz, costume design, original song, and art direction. Uh, this movie also has a very um specific palette. 
Um, what movie were we talking about? I completely forgot. We went on. Lame is. Lame oh, is. yeah. Yes. Uh, it's grays, grays and blues, subdued, subdued reds. <laughs> it's grays and grays and grays. There hasn't been this much gray since the Civil War. It sure hasn't. The sets are unbelievably good, though. And gray. And gray. They are. But you know what? It was. What do you want? Like, it's 19th century France. Everyone's sad. You think, you think 19th century France was just gray? Have you been? Yes. To 19th century France? Yes. That yes. was when fluorescent pink actually became a thing. Sure wasn't. No. Nope. It was everywhere. No, sure wasn't. No, France is, France, a lot, France is a lot. It's a lot of stone. So it's gray. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's grimy. Look, it's dirty. Yeah. It's cold. I, I will say France that. France is beautiful, though. You should go. It's great. That, you know, so Les Mis is partially, very loosely based on a true story. No. Um, what? Yo, no, it is. No. Original novel by Victor Hugo. What are you talking about? Originally based on a true story. And Tell I'm not me. talking about I'm not talking about Valjean. I'm not talking about the bishop. I'm talking about Who was Valjean? That's Cole Wilkinson, original Valjean. Stop. Stop giving away my my fun fact. Oh, is that a fun fact? Sorry. It is. I I've I've known that the whole time though. Give me you have to give me a new one. I had no. a jo- I have a joke uh, among a uh, a friend group that there's a scene like a brief cut where the bishop is watching Valjean eat and he's just staring at him and so the joke was I was you. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, so the part that's based on a true story is the June Rebellion. Oh. Yeah, well, okay, sure. That's not really where I thought you were going with true story. Because normally, no. based on a true story, I it's based on an historical a, a, incident, the June Rebellion. Yeah, I usually based on a true story, I associate with characters, like nope. in, because, like, nope. say, like Titanic, then technically is based is on a based true, on, true story, and, and but, it that's, but it's actually is. based on a true historical event, which is, I guess, is, a story. But it's it is not as how based on a true phrase. story as. Silence of the Lambs and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. These are all movies that are claimed to be based on true stories, and they are to an extent. Yeah, there, there's a difference between I think based on true story and inspired by true events. I think this I think this might fall into inspired by true events. Well, in any event, the June Rebellion, which was like a 13 second rebellion in France, uh, is one of my favorite things of all time. Because it's got a name and it lasted literally like a weekend. Yeah. 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 Which is about how long it lasts in the movie. So it's fun. June Rebellion almost makes it sound like it lasted all through June. It wasn't even in June. It was like November when it happened. Yeah, but it was about their like new birth and spring and stuff. I don't – yeah. But it's also France at the turn of the – because this is what? The turn of the century, right? This is post-Napoleon – uh, yeah, this is post-Napoleon, so yes. Yeah, so it's France at the turn of the century when they had rebellions like every other week. They sure did. They saw what America was doing. Like, we can do that. What are you fighting <laughs> we can for? Do that. We don't know. <laughs> we just <laughs> we can get, do that. We killed the king get and queen. Here. We don't know what else we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> get out of here, king. You're now king. Three days later. All right, you suck. <laughs> Next. Get out. Get a new king. Like, no, wait. I haven't even learned where the bathroom is yet. <laughs> All right. 
Well, my June Rebellion thing will take place will take the place of the Cole Wilkinson. Okay. Okay. So that was fun thing. fact number one. Give me fun fact yep. number two. The soundtrack for the mo- for a movie musical is usually recorded several months in advance, and the actors mime to play back during the film. On this film, however, nearly every song was recorded live on set to capture the spontaneity of the performances. Everyone involved, from Hugh Jackman to Russell Crowe, to producer Cameron McIntosh, praised the approach as it allowed them to focus more on the acting and performances. They also praised director Tom Hooper for attempting this on such a scale, something no director has ever done before. The opening song, Look Down, set in the dockyard, did have to be pre-recorded to, due to the loud water and other ambient noises in the scene. And I would argue Look Down is probably one of the best songs in the film version. Yep, also agree. Really powerful, but because they were singing in a studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that goes, see, so the approach to singing on set, while I, while I, I like the idea... And I like, and I and I like what you can get from it. I feel like there are some songs that you need to do, like "Look Down" should be in a studio. Um, "When Tomorrow Comes" should be in a studio, like like the really like Broadway style big show pieces. An emotional song like an emotional song like. Um, on my own or I dreamed a dream or I dreamed a dream. I think you can do on set and still kind of get that. And you can get the emotional aspect out of it. But there are some songs like if they had done masquerade on set for Phantom of the Opera would have been terrible. Yeah. Would have been awful. The thing with singing on set versus singing in the studio though. So they, they sing in the studio. (laughs) If you screw up, it's like, all right, we got to do another thing. Right. Well, they, they have to do that. I mean, they do that anyway, but they sing so far in advance when they, when they go to pre record that when, um, that they might not have a handle on their character yet, but they have to go with the choices that they made in that studio. So if they, so it doesn't create as much of a natural character um, on set because they, they're beholden to the choices they've previously made months in advance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from, from a, from an acting perspective, the freedom of being able to sing on set and use that take is way better, but you are sacrificing sound quality. Yeah. You know what? I just thought of this. Um, I'm willing to take a very minimal budget from a from a film studio. I want to do a musical. I will direct a musical, but I'm going to do it Tom Hooper in reverse. Okay. We're going to do the onset singing mm-hmm. live. And then after the production is done, we'll have them sing it in the studio and we'll dub it over. Oof, that's tough too. I don't know how you do that. Well, could, well, neither do I, but I'm willing to do – I'm willing to try this. Could work. Okay, I'll let you do that if you can answer me this one question about filmmaking. Okay. What is a cowboy shot? Uh, it's a guy with a hat on a horse. Duh. No, sorry. You can't make films. I'm sorry. A cowboy shot, otherwise known as an American shot, is the frame where the um, camera is about – the base of the camera frame is about down to the knee, and it goes – 
all the way up to the top of the body and then some beyond. So you can see the gun on the the leg or in the holster on the side. Literally nobody knows that. Everyone who studies film knows that. It's a it's a common yeah. it's a very you common know, shot. You know how many people who study film actually make movies? None. Almost none. Yeah. But yeah. The, yeah. But you know what? So, they learn uh, those things on set. They have to know those things. So now that you know, they do now not you, have to know. Now you can make. Now you can make a movie. There you go. So that's I the only never, one you need. It's the only shot you need to know. Yeah. Medium shot, long shot, extreme close up, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> the extreme close up. The Tom Hooper close up. The Tom Hooper called. close up. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Beasts of the Southern Wild. Wait, there's a third one. Oh, I'm Go sorry. Away. I thought you did all three. Sorry, there's so yep. many fun facts for Lame Is. Fontaine's assault by a rejected customer is based on an actual incident from Victor Hugo's life that resulted in Fontaine's creation. See, get another part of the true story. He was on his way to his Inspired editor's office. Inspired by true events, not the same He thing. was on his way to his editor's office when he encountered a young woman, a young man harassing a prostitute. When she rejected his advances, he shoved a handful of snow in her dress and shoved her to the ground. When she defended herself with her fists, he immediately called the police to arrest his assailant. Hugo was a minor celebrity at the time and spoke up on the woman's behalf when the police arrived and was able to have her set free. Hugo said he was horrified by the unfairness of the woman's situation and began to imagine that she might have had children depending on her and thus Fontaine appeared in his mind. Wow, that's cool. I mean, yeah. horrible for that woman, but again, cool, but good story based on a true story. No, okay, great. Beasts of the Southern Wild, directed by Ben Zetland, uh, Zetland, written by Lucy Alabar and Ben Zetland, starring Quivizanahan, Wallace, Dwight Henry, and Levy Easterly. Take that, words. Um, nominated for Best Picture, Actress for Wallace, Directing, Adapted Screenplay. This movie has the distinct honor of being the only one nominated this year that did not win a single award. Good. <laughs> faced with her faced with both her hot tempered father's fading health and melting ice caps that flood her ramshackle bayou community and unleash ancient aurochs, six year old hush puppy must learn the ways of courage and love. I want to say this with all the love I can muster. Oh God. <laughs> I get what it's trying to do. That makes one of us. But it tries to play both sides of the coin and it doesn't do it doesn't particularly do because because it's going halvesies on both. I don't think it really succeeds. So this so, movie, <sighs> this movie wants you to know about the 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 poverty of the bayou. Okay? So it wants you it wants you to understand the um the loved and shared community that exists among the poor but it but the the terrible conditions to which they are living it wants you to understand that the ice caps are um in danger of destroying those communities with rising sea levels and it's going to take you in a bit of a slight fantasy venue to kind of get there but those fan that fantasy venue is going to be kind of haphazardly tossed in there Remember when I said I dislike pretentious? Uh yes. Yeah. This kind of qualifies. So now, if you if you think this is pretentious, I'm gonna send you a video about an etiquette instructor critiquing the Princess Diaries. <laughs> so here's let's start from your telling of the story. Okay. 
do go now, on. Now, yeah, I'm I'm going to. So you mentioned the the melting of the polar ice caps. Indeed. Which we see in the movie. We do. For for why we see it in the movie, I have no clue. Because it I don't care what the movie's official bio is or synopsis and what the director wanted you to think. Like the reason that that place is flooded is because of a giant storm that came through. At no time in the movie do they try and equate the giant storm to global warming. Right, which is partly where I would say it goes halfsies and doesn't do it super well. Next, as far as the mythical beast being unleashed, there is no way to – there is no way in hell you would ever make the assumption that even if you know the reason why the ice cap shots are in there, that they're the reason why these beasts are now coming around. Um, you don't think so? Like you? No, like, not like at that, all. That that they were inside the ice, which they showed, and then and Hush Puppy learns about them early in the film, and then nope. and then the ice caps melt, and they're nope. free. Like it, no. it does actually set all of that up for you. I don't think it does. It really does. Because no. I did not read the description of this movie before I watched it, so I can tell you that I like I had no idea what this was about. Like, yeah, neither and, did I. Yeah, and like I, if I would have read I, I the description it. and then I watched this movie, I'd have been like, "Wow, those are two totally different movies." One sounds like an interesting movie, and one is the movie that I watched. And oh. I'll let you figure out which one's which. Yeah, I think the one that you watched, uh, you really didn't enjoy. No. Um, I will say that for anyone who thought to themselves that the Blair Witch Project had too much of a steady camera work, then you should watch this movie. Oh, 100%. I got motion sick within two minutes of this movie being on. And I like I had to stop the movie at several points just to settle my stomach down. Now, as far as like the whole thing of like the plight of the poor – in this movie, mm-hmm. this movie under no is under some weird delusion because if you if they want me to feel bad for the plight of the poor, I'm willing to do that. I'm I am very willing to feel bad for people who can't make ends meet through no fault of their own. But this movie almost it's like people want to be there. They want to be living like this. Um, that. Um, I think that there's a difference between want to live like that and and learning to accept where you are, but also to be satisfied with nothing and understand the importance of like the materialism does nothing for you. It will wash away in a giant flood. So you better understand that what you really have is each other. And that's what matters. No. Yeah. See, again, I'm again, I will say, I don't think this movie does that lesson super well. I'm just saying like, that's like, that's the lesson it wants you to take. That was my, there's a scene in this movie where, um, where, this woman is talking to Hush Puppy about making sure, like, this is after the this is after the storm and after the flooding. 
like, you know, Hush Puppy wants to find help for her father. And this woman's like, well, you can't go, you know, make sure you don't go near the levee because if they see you, they're going to take you to a place, you know, they're going to, they're going to take you and your pa to a place of like a, um, like a camp or a, uh, like a shelter. And she's like, she's making it sound like they're better off where they are than being in a place that actually has a roof over their head and they would be able to eat while it might not be a lot. It would be a lot better than what they're surviving on currently. Like there's just a lot of weird condescension in this movie. Right. But I think that's also part of the, I think that's also part of the message of the movie in in that like there's you know the the pride of you know the pride and distrust of those um with money and without money and 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 the derision uh that that um and kind of the strife that that can cause and, and all of that stuff so like i and i'll say i'll say it again even though i've said it many times i don't think it does it super well but i like but like that's um so to your point yes but it wants you to get these lessons it almost weirdly is like a weird version of a christmas carol where it's like it wants you to understand these lessons through the means of magical uh, something magical something happening but in one case um one um, rebirthed the importance of Christmas inside a community, and the um, and this one uh, didn't. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Uh, give me some fun facts because I I do think that this movie is a um not worth talking about much yeah. past this. Beth Zelton gives considerable credit to Wallace's mother, who was always on set. And helps Zeltlin explain concepts and draw emotions from her daughter to maximize the quality of her Oscar-nominated performance. I will say I think the little girl is really good. She's excellent. She's so good. Yeah. On the very first day of shooting in the fictional bathtub location outside of New Orleans, the BP oil rig explosion and the start of the massive spill occurred. For most of the shoot in nearby waters... Zelton and his crew had to maneuver in and around the cleanup operations. Well, okay. The mystical or mythical beasts, which Husk Puppy, quote-unquote, sees throughout the film, are called Archuros, and occasionally Urasis. Archuros are an extinct ancestor of the bovine family of mammals, with the last Oroch dying in 1627 in which inhabitant inhabited forests of North Africa, Europe, and parts of Southwest Asia. It was like oxen, like in appearance with longer forward facing curved horns and thought to be one of the ancestors of modern cattle. Well, that's fun. I thought you just grew some tusks on a pig, but that's, uh, that was, (laughs) that was good. That's actually, that was a good fun fact. That fact You're was welcome. better than this movie. Well, yes. 
Yes, it was. All right, let's talk Life of Pi, directed by Ang Lee, Ang Lee, written by Jan, uh, based on the book by uh, Jan Martel and uh, David McGee, starring Suraj Sharma, Ifran Khan, and Rafe Spall. Nominated for Best Picture, Adapted Screenplay, Editing, Sound Mixing, Sound Editing, Original Song, and Production Design. This movie won Best Directing, Cinematography, Original Score, and Visual Effects. Um, this uh, movie revolves around a young man who survives a disaster at sea. Uh, it is hurled into an epic journey of adventure and discovery. While cast away, he forms an unexpected connection with another survivor, a fearsome Bengal tiger. So this movie is... Um, this movie is um, told in a series of flashbacks. Ifran Khan is telling an author about his um, how he was trapped at sea off a sh- uh, after a shipwreck with a tiger and some other some other animals, and how he must survive. Um, I found Life of Pi visually arresting, spiritually moving, yeah. thoroughly engaging. I thought the effects were outstanding, even for mm-hmm. seven yeah. years later. Like, so good. And um, I honestly didn't expect to take to it nearly as much as nearly as much as I did. Yeah. Um, it was it was awesome. It was so good. Okay, I I like Ang Lee. I like his visuals. I like his style of movies. Sometimes it can come across very plotting. But I I'm tend to be okay. I am firmly in the camp of I like his Hulk movie. I really like Ice Storm. Oh, Ice Storm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I absolutely love Ice Storm. I like this movie mostly. What, I think what do you what, I think what's it's the paced, issue? I think it's paced very fine up until about two thirds through the movie. Are you Once ready for you, it to wrap? Yeah, like, for one, I thought the movie was was going to get to him being kind of stranded out to sea a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a good chunk of the movie prior to that, which I liked. And then when he's on there, it it's good and it's visually stunning. But there's a lot of – it's like Castaway and other movies of that ilk where, like, you have to do a lot to make that still go by and be entertaining. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of run out of things quickly. And I feel like that this movie kind of runs out of things a little bit quicker. I think once he gets to the uh, island of all the meerkats, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, it, that gave it something again, it gave it a much needed boost. Um. But then where you kind of find out it's just all a fable. Or is it? I've... Or no, is it is. No, no, or it is. it is. Or is it? I, I don't no, know. No, no. It is. He And that, like, that robbed me of the movie. Like, that scene should not be in the movie at all. Well, well no. That's the, that's, the, that's the magic of the movie is that Ifran Khan's older self, you know, him and his self, you know, says, like, which is a better story, the one on the paper or the one that I told you? And it's the one that he told. That's the better story. That's the one to believe because the, it's about the importance of storytelling, the power of 
choosing to believe what you want to have but that's faith. You're, he's choosing to have is is the it's the to have faith for over one version over another version. It ties into his um, seeking out the need of you know like being. Uh, being Muslim, being Catholic, being Hindu, being Hindu, like and tying these things together—that's what made the movie for me. He's a liar. No, he's not. He told a story, Ian. He said, "Which is the better story?" Like though he's not hiding the other version. Um, but, but he is. No, he's not. No, he told his. He told his story. Everybody only tells their story. Nobody ever tells the truth. They only say their version of events, which is I never the which the is truth. never the full truth. It can't be because can't you be. have a bias. It's impossible not to. And so it doesn't have to be a strong one, but you have one. Everyone does. And so you whenever you relay a story, no matter how you relay it, it's never the whole truth. It can't be. It's impossible. He was on the boat with Gerard Depardieu the entire time. No, Gerard Depardieu would have died early because he was the cook. He the cook was the the chimpanzee, the orangutan. No, right. was the tiger. The cook was the tiger. So who was the orangutan? Uh the orangutan was was the guy that was sat the down mother. at the table. Or no, no, the, the orangutan, orangutan was, was the mother, mother. and yeah. the hyena was. The the hyena was the the guy that sat at the table with them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought I thought the cook was the hyena. No, you're right. I think you're you're right. I watched this one a long time ago. In the way we we are watching this movie now. Oh no no no! He was the tiger. Yes, that's right. That's better. Yeah, he, he was, was the, the tiger. tiger. The Gerard the... was the hyena, and the right. mother was the orangutan. Right, and That's then right. the person, the crew member who jumped and broke his leg was the zebra. That's oh, the zebra. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and animals on that boat. I got confused. Yeah, yeah. I just like the image of like, no, he was on the boat with Gerard Jeopardy the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But, but I. Gee, I the fact I that like there was it. no tiger on the boat really upset me. I'm sorry. I mean, he wasn't really there anyway. It was it was a visual effect, which actually weirdly lends like weight to the fact that it was all a story anyway. No. Because anything they, that's quote not real or magical or looks too pretty or anything doesn't matter because it's the storied version of things. It's like watching, um, it's like Three Hundred, right? You know, like it's it's. It's um Leonite. It's the warrior's name who I cannot remember. The guy with the eye patch, telling the story of the three hundred to the warriors before they go fight the Persians. So all of the monsters and all like the way that he tells the story it's amplifies their energy. It's all a story. It's that's not really how it happened. It did. It's, so. all, it's all to hype them up. No, no, no. Not the battle of the three hundred themselves, but the um like the how he describes the 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 monsters the magic the 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 um animals that show up all oh, that's real? it no it's it's a story he's telling it as a battle story before the previous night to get that's the whole point of that you, sequence you have trust issues no i do not no that i 
by knowing that it's a story would show that I don't have trust issues. No, you just don't take people at their word. Yeah, huh? Yeah, that's 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 what this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah very good. Um, I miss Ifran Khan. That was kind of my take, my big takeaway from Life of Pi. He died too early, and I'm sad. I was sad about it. Who? The 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 adult kid from the boat. Oh, he died. Yeah, hmm. yeah. He was a great actor, and I will and I will I will miss him. Okay. Yeah. Ang Lee hired Stephen Callahan as a nautical consultant in 1982. Callahan survived 76 days adrift on a rubber lifeboat in the Atlantic after his sailboat sank. He was also not with a tiger. Of course. I expected these things. The shot from overhead of Pie sleeping on the tarp with Richard curled up in the boat and the fish swimming underneath them replicates the best-known cover of the book that the film is based on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The name Richard Parker has previously been associated with shipwrecks. One in the Edgar Allan Poe novel, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, published in 1838, Richard Parker is a member of a group of shipwrecked sailors who resort to cannibalism. Two, in 1884, a ship called Minuet sank in the ocean. Four people survived, including a cabin boy named Richard Parker, was subsequently killed and eaten by the other three survivors. There you go. See, both of those are a lot more are a lot more interesting because they actually happened. No, so but that's 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 like uh that's that's allu- he, Richard Parker is an allusion to those stories, one of them being about cannibalism. So if you knew that ahead of time, then you know that it's a story. Right away. It tells you. It tells you the answer right away. Nope. Yep. Mm-hmm. Next movie. Nope. Wow. I'm just sad that you didn't get it. Zero Dark Thirty, directed by Catherine Bigelow, written by Mar- Mark Boyle, based on true events, inspired by true events, Palmer, not based on true story, inspired by true events, um, starring Jessica Chastain, Joel Egerton, Jason Clark, Chris Pratt, and Kyle Chandler. Again, apart from Jessica Chastain, I really just pick and chose who I wanted to. Um, nominated for Best Picture, Actress for Chastain, Original Screenplay, and Editing. This movie won Sound Editing. Plot revolves around the chronicle of the decade-long hunt for Al-Qaeda terrorist Osama bin Laden after the September 2001 attacks and his death at the hands of the Navy SEALs Team 6 in May of 2011. Um, I'd only seen this movie once before. I saw it in theaters, and I thought it was excellent. Like, uh, the imagery of Jessica Chastain, like, banging on the glass with, like wall and being like it's been a hundred days and she like writes it down and then walks away and she comes back it's like two hundred days and does that like that's been with me for years I don't know why that particularly has stuck with me. Also, the neither do I monkey eating Jason Clark's ice cream has always stayed with me because I know that wasn't scripted, um, and so like the monkey stole his ice cream and they just kept it in the movie because they thought because it, it was funny. Um, I thought the first time I saw it, it played trem- like tremendously good, like from start to finish. It, it's a, it's got a real zest and zeal and drive, and the, um, the the um, the actual mission is almost to the minute of the actual time the the 
seal uh, the seal team um went and got bin laden i thought on the rewatch it wasn't as interesting i thought that it um it it uh it is like a first time viewing kind of engagement and there wasn't much to it after that mm-hmm. what do you think um not for me i've actually i've avoided this movie almost since it came out um because of because of this is the second movie Catherine Bigelow did in this vein since September 11th she did a movie that we'll watch she did footlocker um hurt locker the hurt locker Not right footlocker <laughs> uh she did hurt locker uh which brought Jeremy Rayner into prominence and then she did this movie and i just um they were pretty much back to back too. Her yeah. locker was 2008, and then she did something called the Miraculous Year. Yeah, and in then 2011, did, and then yeah. Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, and I feel both movies. I feel both movies try and shine a positive light on stuff that I just can't morally agree with. Sure, sure. Um, this movie, I believe, tries to shine a positive light on torture and I don't like I don't like the idea of it. I don't oh. like the idea of torture and I don't like the idea of using torture because as someone does mention in this movie but it kind of gets brushed off to the side you don't know if they're telling the truth. They're just telling you what you want to hear to stop the torture. You know, the- and that's that's it's good i i've seen now i've seen it twice now i was not under the impression that it was supposed to shine positivity on on yeah. torture like that I, I have that was not my takeaway from the film at all i i fully believe it does especially like at the beginning yeah see that it doesn't it just didn't ring that way to me, and I'm not a fan of torture. It's not like no, I, I like agree with it or anything. Yeah, it just that's just not that's just not how I saw it as a presentation of the facts that led to the assassination of Osama bin Laden. Like whether that was positive, whether that was positive, or whether that was positive or negative. And I say facts very broadly. Here. Yeah, because. Um... Yeah, we'll we'll wait till I get to the fun facts. But what do you, are you, yeah. is your one of your fun facts about Jessica Chastain's character? No, no, because she was not. She's not the real she's a like composite. She, she's kind of a composite, and the yeah. majority the person she's primarily based upon, like her name's been changed, and a lot of details right, right, right. have been changed yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So, um, so I I kind of just took it for what I kind of just took it for what it is. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't feel... think anything about it is particularly, I don't find anything about it particularly damning or heroic. I really just saw it as see, I, I believe is. this movie is, I believe this movie is nostalgically heroic. It was out at a time where it was, America or die. 20, and unfortunately we yeah. 2012? 
Yeah. America or die. Um, unfortunately, we've been in that position since 2011. Uh, um, 12. I'm sorry, September 11th. Oh, yeah. No. Since September 11th, we've there's been a, there's been an over national sentiment that either you're wholeheartedly with America or mm. you're not American. And I feel like this movie kind of plays into that a bit. And even if you don't think it directly shines a positive light on torture, I honestly don't think it does enough to discourage it. I would agree with that because of the final result at the end of the at the end of the film and the the true story itself was you know the uh, you know the death of Osama bin Laden like certainly right but they would tell you but but again that's a story because they would tell you that they didn't obtain that information from torture sure that's correct that's right yeah they sure so, would tell you that mm-hmm. but I mean yeah. I mean, again, I'm willing to, you know, they tell me that they didn't obtain the information that led to him uh, into the raid as from torture. I'm until I'm until I find out otherwise or see proof otherwise, I'll believe them. Also, I don't feel like the way that they carry out the mission in this movie is is fine but honestly in the raid that they have there were five people that they shoot and kill that don't have a gun on them don't remotely pose any threatening uh position to them i have a question are you critiquing the film or the actual raid though because i'm critiquing the film because the film is what i'm seeing right i'm under the assumption that the film that sequence presents things as matter of fact. Like, this is not Lincoln, where it's like it didn't happen exactly like this. We're not sure who said what at what time, you know. So we'll, you know, we have a thereabouts. Um, you know, Zero Dark Thirty. I'm pretty sure that last I, half hour is supposed to be as accurate as you can. Get I don't think so because I believe that's still under that's still under wraps from the government. I'm not positive about that. Have no no confirmation yeah. or denial on that. So even so, I'm just giving what I see in the movie because that's all I can take. Mm. And shooting people while they're asleep without any gun on them or in their immediate vicinity, where they could have easily just restrained them, sure, is something that I is that I feel like shouldn't have been done. And again, so this is this is all just parts in the movie that I think lead to like a rah rah moment that I just can't get behind. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, can, I can get I can get behind you on, on all of those things. Like I, I, I definitely get all of that. It's a weird feeling because I will say it, the my my favorite part is where like the group of the the villagers that are hearing this going on that are coming towards the Americans. And the translator kind of gets them to stay back and and disperse. Mm-hmm. Like I was really waiting for the guy to just, just like start shooting them. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, this isn't extraction, Palmer. You know, like you know, let's you know, this is uh it's not an '80s movie here. You know, yeah. so that would have been the that would have been the '80s style. Yeah. So so I'm glad he didn't. But I think there's enough. 
there's enough things that I don't, again, like how the sausage is made. I don't like how the sausage is made when it comes to this movie. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Like I said, it didn't play for me as strongly the second time. And you've raised some excellent, you've raised some excellent points. I had not thought about, um, let's do, um, let's do some fun facts. Cause we got yep. two more movies to talk about still. James Gondolfini sent a note to Leon Panetta before the film came out, writing, I'm very sorry about everything. I apologize. You're like my father, so you'll find something to be angry about, but please let me know. Months later, as the film was in the middle of award season in early January, screenwriter Mark Boll told Gandolfini, Leon Panetta would like your phone number because he doesn't know how to get in touch with you. The actor replied, he's the head of the CIA. He can't find me? Come on, really? That's great. That's great. That's, um, I just watched, didn't I just watch that in a movie? Oh, yeah, in Argo. We're a spy agency. You know, like, <laughs> find him. <laughs> the climactic sequence devoted to the raid on Osama's compound runs about 25 minutes, only a few minutes less than the real life SEALs assault. Yeah, see, I knew it was close. The movie was originally about the unsuccessful decade-long manhunt for Osama bin Laden. The screenplay was completely rewritten after bin Laden was killed. Well, there you go. Shows you how long it takes to make a movie. Good thing they didn't make it. And, you know, like, and then they're like, okay, this movie comes out next weekend. Oh, by the way, Osama bin Laden has been killed. This movie is an alternate history. You should take it as such. Um... But that also then goes to prove your point on on its accurate, uh, how accurate or not accurate it is. So there you go. Um, good, Django Unchained. Yes, yep. good. Django that is Unchained. A movie that we haven't done yet. Yeah, uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino, written by Quentin Tarantino, starring Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Kerry Washington, and Samuel L. Jackson. Nominated for picture, cinematography, and sound editing, this movie won Best Supporting Actor for Christoph Waltz and Original Screenplay. Story revolves around um, Jamie Foxx's character Django, with the help of a German bounty hunter, a freed slave, sets out to rescue his wife from a brutal Mississippi plantation owner. Um, this is not one of my favorite Tarantino's. Uh, I'll be upfront; I find it long, a little plotting in, in places. I think there's some great performances. Christoph Waltz is always good in my book. Not as strong as his performance in Inglorious Bastards, but I uh -huh. much much different character. Um, so I, I enjoy him all the same. I think Samuel L. Jackson is entirely captivating in this movie. It's sometimes like you watch Samuel L. Jackson just be Samuel L. Jackson in this yeah. movie. We're kind of in every so often he comes out with a movie where he's like, no, I'm a really good actor and here's yep. why. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that, I found that here. Um, I think it, I like its message. I like the, I like the free <laughs> slavery slave. bad. Yeah. Slavery bad. I like that. It's a great message. I like how ruthlessly um, like Tarantino mocks, the Ku Klux Klan, plantation owners. <laughs> the Klan scene is thinking one of the best things he's ever done. Like Don uh, Johnson like... on a horse yelling at everybody <laughs> is just one of the best things Tarantino's done in in his decades that, of making movies. That was a really good scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife cut each one of your bags, <laughs> and if you're not thankful, well, I'm just going home. <laughs> just. Yeah, wait, are we riding with the bags or no bags? Wait, bags <laughs> this time. 
and then no bags this time, and we'll reassess for next time. <laughs> like it was just really some of it is really really strong uh, writing from him. I just think it's too long. I think that there's that it is there's his by the time like Django's partnering with the bounty hunter through like going to a bunch of different plantations, then finally getting to DiCaprio's plantation. It just takes too long. And then when you think it's over, it's got another 40 minutes left. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's kind of where I, um, that's kind of like the whole like Australian, like sequence, Australian slavers sequence. Yeah. I'm like, th- this was unnecessary. Like you could have wrapped it up in the same place. Yeah. We just Yeah, were. but it had Michael Parks. It did. It did have Michael Parks, but, and it did have Tarantino doing an Australian yeah, accent, I don't care which about was which no, was, that was horrible. A, a choice that was made. Yep, that, yeah, that was horrible. But the fact that it had Michael Parks, I was like, all right, I'm fine with this scene. And even then, like, I thought it was a. I think, yeah, they could have found a way to wrap up the movie quicker. But I think if you're going to make the choice of doing the two and a half hour movie that this is. I think that gives a little bit of lightness that the like the clan scene does. So that, that's it's not just one true. note the entire time. That's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated this movie when I first saw it. And uh, I mean, as I do a good chunk of Quentin Tarantino movies, I, I tend to dislike them because I feel he doesn't edit himself. You- I think he's at his, I think he's at his best when he is, when he's not doing his own material or when somebody else is doing his material. What is your best Tarantino to you? Cause I From assume you've seen Dawn. all of them to dust till dawn is his best yeah. Tarantino. Yeah. He wrote it. He didn't direct it. That was Robert Rodriguez. And I think it shows, I think there's editing. There's editing where he, Robert Rodriguez likes Quentin Tarantino. Like they get along great and they work really well together, but, it's not his stuff. It, it's not like you fall in love with your own stuff. And it's like, well, I can't cut that because, you know, I did it. So it's obviously it's great, which I feel like is a thing on Quentin Tarantino. Um, and Quentin Tarantino to me is like poster child for, for like, film, like pretentious film school graduate. Yes. Yeah. Um, um so, and I don't mean like in his movies. I don't feel like his movies come across like that. I feel him explaining his movies comes across like that. There's um um I can't remember what it's the George Lucas biography by Brian J. Jones, which I recommend. It's one of the best biographies I've ever read. It's so good. And um, but there's a um he talks about like they all there's like going to a convention and like there's this kid hanging out with them that won't stop asking questions and like all this stuff and you're like and you're like kid just leave us alone and it's like Quentin and it's Quentin Tarantino yeah <laughs> it's uh, so good but it really sums up Tarantino in a way Tarantino's got the Sorkin I don't feel that way about Tarantino for me but it's got the Sorkin issue for me Sorkin's at his best when somebody else is directing his work yeah although I mean. Sorkin's only directed two things. Uh three things now. He did the he did Molly's game, yep. Trial of the Chicago Seven, and that West yep. Wing episode. I think he, he also directed the, the Oh that the, that one that special. That special, yeah. Yeah. Which was good. That was probably one of the be- the better ones. But um Yeah. 
Um, but I, but, but, out of the, but out of those two, out of everything else I've seen Sorkin do, like I can tell you that like it's better when he doesn't direct his own stuff. Not that it's stuff. Not that it's bad. It's not. It's very good. Trial of Chicago, of the Chicago Seven is really good. Um, um, I think it just might be because he's more of a writer and not a director. That's right. And but that's kind of what you're saying about Tarantino. Yeah, I mean, he did start off as a writer with like True Romance and Natural Born Killers. Although I don't particularly like Natural Born Killers. I think it's, I think it's easily the weakest of, um. Oliver Stone's movies. Uh, but I will say, getting back to, to Django Unchained, um, I think... It's Django. I, the D is no, silent. I think Jamie Foxx is okay. I think Christoph Waltz... I really like him in Inglorious Bastards, and I know you kind of said, like, his role in this is different. I don't feel like he plays it differently. He just is playing a more likable person. Which is oh, weird. Oh, like he's, he's still kind of over it's, the top. It's definitely a, a different character. There's there's no way it's. I mean, it's a it's a more likable character, and this character is not a Nazi or is a not a Nazi. But I believe he's playing it very close to the same. Like there are times he's over the top that I'm just like I could see that being from Inglorious Bast. Like I could see that being in Inglorious Bastards, and it's just the style of movie Quentin Tarantino projects. So it's that it's, not, it's also a bit Christoph Waltz. Um, right. Yeah. Which is so I don't I don't think I love him as much as I do like him in uh, in Glorious Bastards. I think Samuel Jackson's pretty good. One of the things I thought I remember disliking about this movie is Leonardo DiCaprio. And I thought originally Leonardo DiCaprio like was way over the top. But watching it a second time, I think. DiCaprio does probably as good of a job in this movie as I've seen him do in a good majority of his movies. Yeah. And he, he plays to the movie he's in, which is, uh, yes. which is but but in that DiCaprio, DiCaprio to, style. To an extent, yes. But I also think given the fact that I'm watching this post Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where I hated him in that movie. Did you hate the character? Or did you hate him, his acting choices? Uh, I hated both. Okay. Um, I hated that him in that movie. Like, I completely want his character and him out of that movie and might make it a better. Um, so comparing it to that, I think he's toned down in this one. This movie does go on for too long. The end is a little much. Like, Tarantino has too much of a tendency to over-exacerbate the violence. Sure, that's a part of his style, yeah. Right, but it just, it doesn't work for anything, but he thinks it does. I think it's just part of the Tarantino style. Like, right. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, but if it was subdued, I would question its, I would question what happened to him. Um, I would think he grew as a filmmaker. Like he figured out like what the movie needed and not what he wanted. Yeah, I think that's the difference with like directors that like directors that push themselves versus directors that know their sweet spot. And I think that 
sometimes it being a named director like Tarantino, you expect something. Like I expect that in one of his films. So if you subvert my expectations, like going into one of your films like that much that depending on what it is, like if that's the only thing, maybe I'll like it more. Like, I don't know. Like, cause I find the over the top violence, my least favorite part of a Tarantino film. Right. Um, and that's what I'm saying. Like this movie is good. And even like there's, there's violence of like the dogs eating the runaway slave. Like, that is that works in the movie. It is an uncomfortable scene, and and it shows like the real viciousness of white people towards slaves in that time. But then you get to the shootout at Candyland, that is over the top, almost to a comical degree at times. Like when he shoots the guy from the top of the step, and he goes flying into the other room. Or she goes flying into the room. I forgot who he shoots she, at that point. It's the it's Candy's wife, sister, sister, yeah, sister, sister wife. Yeah, um, yeah. Like he shoots her in the front, and then like she goes flying into the other room on the side. Like to me, that no. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I expect from a Tarantino film. But this one, it plays dramatically. Uh, it offsets with like the hot box. And the dogs and, like, those things that are like, that is viscerally real and I am incredibly uncomfortable and sad. Right. And, and like, that, that thing with the dogs, he actually had that – like, he cut that scene. He cut that scene a good amount from what I heard. Like, he had it going on pretty, pretty far. And everyone was like, eh, after a time it gets like, it already is uncomfortable, but it gets very uncomfortable mm. and he didn't want to put off people. Well, and I'm like, see, he is, is growing as a filmmaker then. <laughs> I mean, but you know what, in a movie about slavery, I would be okay with that. Like, because I'm used to it and say like roots and other movies that pick slavery, 12 years of slave, you know, I'm used to that kind of like, uh, barbarism mm -hmm. when it comes to how they treated slaves that I would, yeah, it'll get uncomfortable. And do I want a five minute scene of it? No, but I understand. So, but mm -hmm. I will say um, as far as uh, Tarantino's movies go, this now at least is in the middle of the pack, maybe a little bit higher uh, than I originally had it. And I don't, no, if that's because I had much lower expectations this time around, or if he's just done some other movies that I've really disliked since then. Yeah, or you found Which an appreciation for things you didn't see the first time. You know, it could be. It's very possible. It could be. It could be on you too. Uh, yeah. Three fun facts for me, please. Yes, three. When Calvin Candy smashes his hand on the dinner table, DiCaprio accidentally crushed a small stemmed glass with his palm and really began to bleed. He ignored it, stayed in character, and continued with the scene. Tarantino was so impressed that he used the take in the final print, and when he called cut, the room erupted in a standing ovation. DiCaprio's hand was bandaged, and he suggested the idea of smearing blood onto the face of Kerry Washington. Tarantino and Washington both liked this, so Tarantino got some fake blood together. Cool. I had read the beginning of that fun fact while I was watching this movie, and then I got to the point where he kind of smears it like, oh, he smeared his own blood on her. Oh. Like, <laughs> what What are you doing, DiCaprio? This isn't The Revenant. You. 
Leonardo DiCaprio, whose role marked the first time he played a villain since when? Um, Iron Man in the Iron Mask. The Man in the Iron Mask yeah. was uncomfortable <laughs> with how horrible and explicitly racist his character was. However, Quentin Tarantino convinced him to be a to be as menacing as possible, saying that if he didn't take it all the way, people would hold it against him forever. Yes. Yes, yes we that's would. true. I agree. Um, there was I didn't have this as a fun fact. But there was also like another side fun fact to kind of like that where Tarantino, like uh, DiCaprio was really was really hesitant about this this role. And like either he apologized or he said something to Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> Who was like, he was like, MF, we're actors. <laughs> uh, after working on this film, composer Inio Marconi said he would probably never again collaborate with Quentin Tarantino since he didn't like the way he places music in his films without coherence and never giving enough time. However, Marconi and Tarantino collaborated again on The Hateful Eight, which earned Marconi his first Academy Award. I will say I totally agree with him. One of the things I do dislike about Tarantino's movies is the music and how it just feels haphazard and thrown together. And yeah, the the you could argue whether the music's good or not that he picks. Like it's stuff that he likes, so he puts it in there. But I don't feel it serves an overall purpose. Um, I generally agree with that. My big takeaway from that is that Eno Morricone didn't win an Oscar until The Hateful Eight. That's crazy. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, because the, the score in this is very good. It's great. It's excellent. But his scores are always good. Though his his um, Hateful Eight score is better. I will say, though, given the fact that I don't like he's to me, he's not like a name. I know he's a big name as far as as far as um, film movies go. go. Yeah, right. But to me, like he's not to the extent of say John Williams, Hans Zimmer, Danny Elfman, because I don't like he's not a name to me. Sure. So the only two things that I really could recognize him from are very similar in style. This and the Hateful Eight, both kind of westerns. So if he, if that's kind of what his thing is, is doing westerns, I could see that being a little too one note to win an award. That's true. He's really the one responsible for the, um, he's really the one responsible for the sound of the spaghetti western. So the, you know, okay. so, if yeah, you, yeah. you know, the, that's, like, yeah. that's, you know, Morricone. If you, if you think western and you know what sound that is, so then, yeah, I could I could easily see why he doesn't win if if all of your scores are really good, but are kind of like the same genre. Yeah, especially you know, it's like especially it's like John those, Williams. John yeah. Williams has won a bunch of awards. He's also lost a lot more than he's won. Sure, of course, yeah, because and, and, a lot of it's kind of the same style. Yep. Yeah, I though I mean, you know, Crony's not always westerns. Though he did the Mission, which is a gorgeous score. You know, we talked about the Mission on this show. We said the movie is almost like nothing without the music, right? Um, and so, um, which is not entirely true, but it, it, but it is the music is a huge part of it. But I do I do agree that, um, uh, I do agree that 
it's tough to say like he's not John Williams because nobody's John Williams. Like almost yeah. like, nobody in the history uh, of cinema, maybe apart from like Max John Steiner, Williams. is John is is John Williams. Like he just isn't, and so it's a once in a generation thing. And you can say Alan Silvestri or you know or Alexander Desplat or um, James Horner or all these guys, but they all Ooh, James Horner. Yeah, James Horner, great, great musician, but mm-hmm. but none of them are John Williams. It's just it's just not happening. So Horner did Titanic, right? Horner did Titanic, yeah. 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 Yeah, among many things. Yeah. Okay. So right. uh was that three? That was three. We're <gasps> on to Argo. Argo F yourself. Argo. <laughs> <laughs> um directed by Ben Affleck, written by Chris Terrio, Tony Mendez. And Joshua Behrman, based on the book by Tony Mendez and Joshua Behrman, I should say. Um, starring Ben Affleck, Brian Cranston, John Goodman, Alan Arkin, and the entire cast of people who were trapped. <laughs> and the entire cast of Saudi Arabia. That's not where they were, no. That's... I know, they were in Iran. Okay, great. Just try, But just, as I was as I was saying it, the word Irania was in my mind. I'm like, I'm not saying that because I know it's wrong. So. Yeah, that is wrong. So you just went with an entirely different country altogether. Yep. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Alan Arkin. Uh, original score, sound mixing, and sound editing. This movie won Best Picture, Adapted Screenplay, and Editing. Acting under the cover of Hollywood producer... Scouting a location for a science fiction film, a CIA agent launches a dangerous operation to rescue six Americans in Tehran during the U.S. hostage crisis in Iran in 1979. What a movie Argo is. It's terrific. It's good every time. Seen it oh, few- you're, you're actually being... You're being serious. I thought serious. Being, it's great. Yeah, it's really I thought you were being facetious. No, not at all. Oh, no. Uh, it's, yeah, it's no, I, no, it's I agree so with good. you. I I do really like this movie. I do. I will say, watching it this time, I find it funny. Like, Ben Affleck, like, this is the movie that got Ben Affleck the role of directing, Batman. It's directing cred, Ben Affleck. Yeah, this is the movie that gave him directing cred. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, this this movie, his acting in this movie is what got him the role of Batman because he looks thoroughly miserable I'm every sure time he's on screen. <laughs> yeah, he sure does. Yeah. Yeah. Physically fit and miserable. Cast yep. Batman as Batman. Yeah, as Batman. <laughs> yep. Um which is which is just hilarious. Um but uh, uh John Candy's in the, not John, John Candy. Candy. <laughs> John Goodman is in is in this uh, I think Goodman is really good. I love Alan Arkin in this movie. Yep, me too. Yeah, I think everybody's great. Brian Cranston is great. Yeah. Um, the cast, the people that they cast as the hostages are great. Victor Garber is very underutilized, but wonderful when he shows up as the and Canadian he doesn't say a boot, which I'm kind of upset about. No, he doesn't. No, nope, doesn't do a thing. Um, I I think this movie succeeds because it's tense. Every time, you yeah. know, it, it, like I know what happens. I've seen it. See, I did. I've seen it a few. T- no, I've seen it a few times. I didn't know what happened the first time. Right. Um, but um, I've seen it a few times and every time I'm still nervous. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. No, it's done. It's done so well. The tension builds nicely. I like how I like how we see them kind of forming the operation. Like this gives this gives a good blueprint 
to how to do a, a, a true story movie and how to do and how to edit it. Because a, mm-hmm. at no point does it feel like uh, we're still on them planning this mission. They're still trying to figure this out. Like it moves in, it shows what it needs to show. It shows like a little about a little of what the problems could be, and then it moves on. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't linger. It knows its pacing. It knows its pacing, and it knows when to be funny. Yep. When to be serious. Mm-hmm. When to be silly. When to be sad. Like yeah. it, and it doesn't waste a second. Yeah. Yeah, I. Yeah, it knows when to use. It knows when to feel like history and when it needs to feel like a movie. Yes. Right? And those are, those are the, that's, that's a challenge uh, into itself. That's cool. I don't know yeah. if this is one of your fun facts or not, but did you know that the actual storyboards? Yes. Uh, they, yes that is one what, of my fun facts. Okay, Go away. I, I won't, I won't say it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's 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 terrific all around. This is a, a very, I mean, most most best picture movies will suck you in in some way, right? You know, like mm-hmm. even just for a second, you know, you, you won't be you won't watch three seconds and be like, I don't care, I'm moving away. They'll at least hold your attention for thirty yeah. seconds for you yep. to figure out what's happening, right? And then you decide from there if it's good or not. <laughs> I just like, I just like how much. Like they they comment on like finding a knockoff Star Wars mm-hmm. to to do this, you know, so that way it can be set in Iran and that. And I just like when they do the when they do like the in costume read through, like how much of a Star Wars knockoff it is. Like it's Chewbacca in purple. Oh yeah, it's, it's so bad. Like how much like how much of a rip it is. Like I I can't remember if he's actually still alive and if he is, I don't believe he's still doing movies. But if I could invent a time machine and take the DeLorean back a few years and find some way to get Roger Corman to actually do this script as a movie cuz this has Roger Corman written all over it. Roger Corman is still alive. But he was born in 1926, so I don't think he's making movies anymore. So, um, like, I want Roger Corman to make the actual version of this movie because I want to see how it turns out. Yeah, I would be curious to see what this movie, like, what Argo actually was. I love the scene where they're like, why is it called Argo? I don't know. Like, get away. Get away from me. Oh, is it like Jason and the Argonauts? Like the ship, like the Argonaut, like going on a voyage? You're like, no, I don't know. Get away from me. (laughs) I want to say, I tried looking it up when we were talking and nothing came up on IMVME. I want to say, I remember seeing something that something was made with it. Like something took that script and did something with it. Maybe it was a comic book. Maybe it was a graphic novel. I want to say someone actually produced some sort of media or entertainment thing based on that script. Hmm. But I don't know offhand. And if not, for the love of God, I'll finance it because it's going to take, what, 30 bucks? Um, I can tell you that Vice.com spoke to the guy who wrote the movie. Yeah. Um, 
wrote the movie or wrote the movie? Wrote Argo. No, okay. not Chris Terrio. Um, uh, but his movie the, about the BPPP. I stole the script from Lord of Light is what Mendes himself has said. How much bigger smoking gun can you get? So, well, Ben Affleck's teary best picture acceptance speech thanked the right Hollywood honchos. There's one person he snubbed who literally made Argo a reality, Barry Ira Geller. In 79, Geller penned Lord of Light, an adaptation of Roger Zelazny's Hugo Award-winning sci-fi novel. The title morphed into Argo and the CIA evacuated six U.S. diplomats, blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, so that's interesting. So Lord of Light was the script, but they changed the name to Argo. The CIA changed the name to Argo when they were doing the – when they were – um, uh, what do you call – when they were when they were making the operation. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, Lord of Light is a book. It is one of six Zelnesky. He received a Hugo Award for it, one of six – as well as three Nebula Awards. I'm looking at Amazon's description. Funny, wise, and infused with a sense of wonder and knowledge, nobody else made myths real and valuable in the way Roger Zelny could, Neil Gaiman. Hmm. I right, to so get this. With assistance from sci-fi visionaries Ray Bradbury, Paolo Solari, and artist Jack Kirby, Geller was using the script to help fund a science fiction theme park named appropriately enough Science Fiction Land. Nice. Nice. I want to go to science fiction land. Yeah. So anyway, right. so yeah, me, it's, it me. is based off a book. So. Okay. Well, anyway, so Argo is great. Everyone should watch it. What a, what a movie. Um, yep. it's, it's truly terrific as, as were a good number of the movies this year. Um, yeah. and so, but Argo has the right amount of everything. And I appreciated that. In an interview with Piers Morgan, former president Jimmy Carter said that he believes the film was a great drama and it deserved to win an Oscar for Best Film. However, Carter noted that although 90% of the contributions to the idea and the consummation of the plan was Canadian, the film gives almost full credit to the American CIA. With that exception, the movie's very good, Carter said. But the main hero, in my opinion, was Ken Taylor, who was the Canadian ambassador who orchestrated the entire process. Yeah, um, I and I don't know much of the real story, but it does it does weigh heavily on um, look how good America is at saving people, even though at the end they're like, oh, you know, this this story is used as, you know, like this is showing people working together, you know, international, you know, yeah, international boundaries. Blah, blah, I blah. do think the movie kind of tongue in cheek. um tongue-in-cheek rats on itself where at the end they talk about how like they'll never be known for it because they are going to give all the credit to the canadians because of sure. america went in and did it um it's an international incident yep yep which, you know is a which I understand, but is also a little weird. Ben Affleck has stated that the production was granted unprecedented access to CIA headquarters, both for interiors and exteriors, and that the gratitude for that privilege belongs to Tony Mendez, the retired CIA officer portrayed by Affleck in the film. Hmm. 
Comic book artist Jim Lee owns some of the storyboards from the fake film. He stated on Twitter when this film was released that he had no idea they had been used in the mission. He only bought them being a fan of Jack Kirby. That's right. Yeah. So my fun fact was that Jack Kirby, Jack Kirby creator did of a lot Spider-Man. of things. Spider Man. Uh, no, Jack Kirby. No, that was Ditko. Ditko was Spider Man. Um, Kirby was Fantastic Four. Four. Fantastic Four, Hulk, Iron Man, the X Men, Dark Side, Dark Side, um, Mister Miracle, the New Gods, Big Barda. Yeah. Um, so basically, the only good one was Dark Side. Is essentially what we're. What? What? Yeah. Um, the New Gods suck. Oh, I thought you were talking about like X Men or Hulk or any of those. Like, yeah, no, Dark Side's the only good one. I, Dark Side's the best. I would say Dark Side maybe is the, my favorite of those, um, but I'm pretty sure Kirby. those other ones are pretty. Kirby good. wasn't X Men, was he? Kirby was X Men. Yeah. Yep. Really? I know. Early X Men not... original team was. Kirby. Why does that not seem right? I don't know, but it was because they stole it from Doom Patrol. Yeah, because that's what Marvel did. Yeah. Well, no, that's not all. That they didn't do it all the time. Really? Really? They didn't steal Spider Man. Spider Man's original. Mm. Is he though? He looks a lot like Batman to me. <laughs> He's Batman if Batman. Ah, uh, the old Wayne Luck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of true. It's pretty similar, actually. Yeah. yeah. The um, only difference between the only difference between Bruce Wayne and Peter Parker is money and a sense of humor. Yeah, that's true. Peter has neither of those. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I did, there's actually I saw Spider-Man panels is old a uh, while back, but there's a bunch of it's a panel grid and it's Spider-Man looking in a mirror with his mask on, but he's wearing nothing but his boxes and the mask, and then he's and then Venom's in the mirror and he's like oh, and then he goes back and he's lying in bed and he's still got the mask on and Mary Jane just for the other side is like you have to drop stink you have to stop drinking coffee at night and he's like I'm hip. <laughs> but I'm hip. <laughs> uh, all right, that was three. That's great. All right, let's um talk about where the people can find us before we do the rewindies. You can find us on Twitter at Academy Rewind and Timothy PG thirteen. You can rate and review us on iTunes and find us all other places podcasts can be found, including thoughtbubbleaudio.com, where you can find all other Thought Bubble Audio shows, and you can support us on patreon.com slash audio. If you if you like us, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you dislike us, please send your comments to at Academy Rewind at gmail.com. Very good. Very good. Except you don't have to put the at, at, a, at a, because it's just Academy Rewind at gmail.com. Look, we don't check the email anyway, so it doesn't really matter. It's, I was not going to say it to see if you were going to say it. No, I was going to say it, which is why we should all – if you have any uh, constructive critiques, please send it to the – Re- Academy Rewind Gmail, and it'll be uh, answered in the order it was received. Indeed, it will. Let's do the 2013 Rewindies, in which we can only choose um, our winners from the movies that uh, were nominated for the award. Um, supporting actor, actress, production design, costume design, makeup, hairstyling, music, visual effects, cinematography, editing, sound, actor, actress, writing, and best picture. Okay, so here we go. Supporting actor, we're going to give to Robert De Niro for Silver Linings Playbook. Oh. I know. Yeah. No, that is um, that is not bad. 
I'm going to give it to Leonardo DiCaprio for Django Unchained. Oh, good. I was really close to giving it to Samuel Jackson, but I just think the, the De Niro's performance was a little bit more layered than than I gave it credit for when I first saw the film. So, um, supporting actress, I'm going to give to Anne Hathaway for Les Miserables. I'm giving it to Samantha Barks for Les Miserables. Because you love Samantha Barks. Yes. Yes, that is the reason. <laughs> Giving her a windy yeah. will surely let like, you just one step closer. Yep. So um, if you represent Samantha Barks, or if you are Samantha Barks listening to this podcast, please uh, send us your address so we know where to send your award to. Yes, very good. And and Palmer For the love of will, God, don't email it, because we don't check the email. And Palmer will personally deliver that rewindy to your front door. <laughs> don't you worry. Uh, um, well, pro- I mean, probably not. She's she lives in London, so I'm not getting on a plane. I'm you can sorry. Get on, you can get on a boat. Uh, yeah, I've seen Titanic. Nice try. I know. I tried. I I really want the show to <laughs> your end. Your entire your entire life would be unfulfilled if I died in a tragic sea accident one season short of completing this show. We have a couple seasons left, and um. Are you going to be in a boat with a CG tiger at any point? Oh, I hope so. Okay, great. <laughs> or Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> either one. I'm fine with either one. Even I'm just though... gonna have I'm just gonna have Gerard Depardieu there acting like a CG tiger. I'm pretty sure he died, so that would be weird. But you know what? I don't know if that would be any weirder than. Oh yeah, he did die. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay. So anyway, um, production design. I'm going to give to Les Miserables. I am going to give to Lincoln. Lincoln, very good. I was so close with the Lincoln. Um, costume design, I'm also going to give to Les Miserables. I am going to give it to Les Miserables. Excellent. Um, makeup and hairstyling, I give to Lincoln. Yes, Lincoln. Good. Uh, music, I give to Life of Pi. Uh, I'm going to give it to Shane Go Chain. Good choice. Visual effects, I give to Life of Pi. Yeah, Life of Pi. Cinematography, I give to Life of Pi. I know it's a tough choice. I it almost really went, is. I almost went Lincoln. I was so close with the Lincoln. But, yeah, uh, to me, it's a toss up between that Life of Pi and Django Unchained. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Life of Pi. Yeah, Life of Pi. Editing, I give to Argo. Argo. Mm-hmm. Uh, sound, I give to Zero Dark Thirty. Django Unchained. Good choice. Also good. Actor, I give to Daniel Day Lewis for Lincoln. Obviously, Daniel Day Lewis. No, no question. That wasn't yeah, like a... yeah. No, I no. Everybody really... else was good, but not he. They weren't that. They were yeah. not that. Yeah. Uh, actress, I'm going to give to Emmanuel Riva for Amor. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Lining Playbook. Cool, 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 cool. Writing, I give to Argo. I'm going to give it to Lincoln. Okay, good. All right, and Best Picture, I give to Argo. Best Picture, I do give to Argo. While it might not, while I might not have picked it for a lot of things, it's the best. I think it's, it's the best def- sum of its parts. That's the best picture, right? Y- right, but at the same time, unless there's like a clear cut like sweeper, like if you argued that Lincoln would win seven out of ten awards, mm. that would be one thing. But I think Argo comes very close to winning almost anything, except maybe acting. Um, supporting, I'm I'm willing to listen up a a, um, a call for Alan Arkin, but I think it 
it's definitely second, maybe at most third in almost any category. Yeah, I and that's what in and so overall. I agree. Um, it's not the singular best except for um editing it's not the singular best in its category but together it works better than all the other movies yeah it definitely doesn't fail at anything it doesn't come close to failing at anything Mm -hmm. no it doesn't no and it's also easily the most rewatchable enjoyable yeah i would say that um Django's pretty rewatch Django's pretty rewatchable and I think maybe Silver Lining Playbook is actually the most rewatchable. I would go Argo, Lincoln, Silver Lining and Django. Yeah. Oh, I, I, if we were if we were off. ranking them in our um if I we just were... meant for rewatchable. Like if I wanted to rewatch one of these, I would I would probably watch Les Mis first because I love musicals. Um but at the same time if I'm like if I want to I can watch Argo. I can re quote unquote rewatch Late Miz by just listening to it. Yes, that's true. You don't necessarily have to you don't have to put it on. Um This is twenty twelve, right? This is twenty thirteen. This is twenty third No, but all these movies came out in twenty twelve. Twenty twelve, yes. Yeah, okay. I like to do the um and what actually what else came out in twenty twelve that could have been and should have been nominated? What are we nominating over a more Zero Dark Thirty and Beast of the Southern Wild? Okay. Um Looper. The Dark yeah. Knight you don't have to give answers to everyone, we'll be here all night. Looper, The Dark Knight Rises, Skyfall, Red Dawn, The Hunger Games. Lockout, Jack Reacher, MIB3, Battleship, Taken 2, uh, Dread, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. So we could have had two Abraham Lincoln movies. Yep. Um, the Central Park 5. Oh, these are documentaries. Never mind, JK. Um, Step Up Revolution, Pitch Perfect, uh, Rock of Ages, The Lorax. Uh, oh, Rock of Ages. I do not know. Um, Twilight Breaking Dawn. Yes. Wrath of the Titans. Journey to Dark Shadows. Snow White and the Huntsman. The Scorpion King 3. Mirror Mirror. John Carter. Rise of the Guardians. Hotel Transylvania. Brave. Um, Cosmopolis. Cosmopolis. That's a tough word. Cosmopolis, um, Ted, This Means War, That's My Boy, Project X, uh, Lawless, Chronicle, Blue Lagoon, Paperboy. I'll be honest, this was not a great year for movies. Uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, The Total Recall Remake, Cloud Atlas, Robot Frank, Atlas Shrugged, um, and I'm kind of running Anna Karenina, Perks Being a Wallflower, Prometheus, um, Avengers, The Hobbit, Mud. I'm surprised Mud didn't get nominated, actually. That was a good movie. Uh, the Man with the Iron Fists. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I can almost see, apart from a few, I can I can really understand why they were the movies nominated. 
Yeah, this is why you're not on the academy. I'm also willing to listen to an argument for John Carter of Mars because I think that movie is really good and was horribly marketed. Horribly marketed. Actually, kind of fun movie. Yeah. It, it tries to do a little bit too much um, all at once. It yeah, combines I, a little bit I will too say many storylines together. I've never gone back to rewatch it mm-hmm. because I liked it in the theater knowing a very little about it. My friend who I was going to see movies at the time with was like, hey, you want to go see this movie? And I'm like, well, I'll go see pretty much any movie, but, you know, what is it? Because I don't know. He's like, oh, you love sci-fi. You're going to really love this. And I'm like, all right, because he had read the books or the the short stories, and he knew about it. So we saw it, and I'm like, yeah, wow. Like, the the marketing on this movie sucked because this movie was made for me, and I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a terribly marketed film, fun movie. Up next, the 2003 Academy Award nominee for Best Pictures were as follows. We will be talking about The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, The Pianist, Gangs of New York, The Hours, and Chicago. I'm 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 so happy. I love when we're down when we go to the five movies. It's the best. <laughs> it's like being on vacation. Uh, it really is, especially like. So I've looked, and there's a couple. There's, I, there's at least one movie every year this season that I'm looking forward to, and then in some cases, like two. And that'll um, be the movies you hate the most. Well, doubtful because, like, I'm really looking to forward to rewatching Gangs in New York, um, and uh, Chicago. Yeah, and uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, there's some I, good- I haven't seen The Hours. I think that's the only movie next that I haven't oh, seen. Oh, you will not like it. Be prepared. You say that. You may. But- you might surprise me, but I don't think you'll like it. Um, I can also do, talking about what's coming up next, we also have Unforgiven and A Few Good Men coming up this season. Ooh. E.T. Tootsie and Gandhi coming up. Uh, let's see what else we have. Deliverance, The Godfather. Um, don't, I'm, I'm going in order. Um, the Music Man, another mutiny on the bounty to kill a mockingbird, the longest day, and Lawrence of Arabia. I am so happy. Oh no, to kill a mockingbird. I was thinking of not Mr. Smith. Um, I am so happy that we're watching the mutiny on the bounty because I have been wanting to watch that version because it's with Marlon Brando, mm-hmm. and I knew I would have to watch it for the for the next season of the show. So I'm like, I'm not going to watch it a second time because it is a long movie from, uh, from what I remember or from what I understand that I'm like, I don't want to watch it, dislike it and then have to watch it again in such a close proximity. It's three hours and five minutes. So yeah, your memory serves you well. Yep. So we're on the same year as uh, Lawrence of Arabia. That's yep. like six hours right there. Yeah, we better start. I got to start prepping now. Oh, my yep. gosh. Even the music man is long year. It's like, what was happening in the 50s? Come on, man. Oh, no, it was the 60s. Um, that was the 60s that these things were happening. So, yeah. and then in the 50s, the Quiet Man, Ivanhoe, original Moulin Rouge, High Noon. Um, with um, With Commissioner Gordon. Sure. 
Um, King's Row, which is uh, the main title theme, is uh, the influence of the Star Wars title theme. Um, Pride of the Yankees, Yankee Doodle Dandy, a lot of Yankees happening that year, a lot of Yankees. Um, and then that's actually it for this year because they combined, um, remember they combined 30, 1934 and 1933 together. Yeah. So we've actually already watched all the 1933 nominees. So we have a shorter season this year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're going, we have a writer's strike happening. So, you know, we're going on, <laughs> we're going on strike. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, pleasure talking to you, and uh, which is good because they're playing us off. Oh, I have some more to tonight. Well, too bad. Bye. Bye.